<laughs> Hello, God bless, and welcome. I'm Kevin Haggerty. You're watching the God Logic Project, coming to you from beautiful God Logic Studios in kind of cold Tampa Bay, Florida. Uh, this is a show where we discuss maintaining a Christian worldview in a post-Christian America. Got an interesting show for you guys today. We're going to discuss uh, socialism, democratic socialism versus capitalism. Can we blend the two together? Is that even possible? And uh, I got two guys that uh, are, are well-versed in both sides of the conversation, uh, so I'm glad to have them. I'll introduce you to two of them in a second, but first, the intro music. Hello, God bless, and welcome. I'm Kevin Haggerty, and this is the God Logic Project. Shut up, Kevin. I'm Kevin Haggerty. That's Mike Houston telling me to shut up like he does every week. Uh, we're discussing tonight, as you guys probably already know, we're discussing uh, socialism and democratic socialism, and, and can it even apply in the United States if it's been successful anywhere else? How is it successful, uh, and what parts of that success can we apply here? I'm not a fan of, of, of a, a socialistic society. I certainly, I think most people would say they're not, uh, but I, I worry that if we go too far, if we go too far down the democratic socialist uh, path, we'll reach a tipping point where we're going to have to go all the way. So, And I suspect that that's probably uh, somewhere in the near future of the United States. I think we're going to try it, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that to you guys uh, as we go, of course, I uh, want to thank you guys first for watching the GodLogic Project. Uh, thank you for using our Amazon links. Go to GodLogic.com, click on the Amazon logo, shop as normal. Amazon's sending a couple of bucks to the GodLogic Project. I appreciate you guys doing that. Folks are donating by via the PayPal account. There'll be uh, links to all of these things in the comments down below. Uh, please subscribe, participate in the conversation. We're going to try to open the phone lines later. You can comment. Where's my phone? You can comment on on, uh, on YouTube, and we will follow those comments. Uh, email me at godlogicprojectgmail.com or just com or email me through godlogic.com. Uh, if anything I could do to help you guys, you got a, a loved one, somebody struggling in any way, emotionally, spiritually, with addictions, kind of what I do, email me. If I have the resources to help you, I certainly will. You want to be a guest on the show? You got an interesting story, got an interesting take on something? I can build a show around. Again, go to godlogic.com, email, uh, message me there. It just comes in my email anyway, uh, and and I'd be glad to talk to you and see if we can't put a show together around around your cause or your ministry or your point of view even. Uh, if you'd like to invite Kevin, Pastor Kevin, to speak at a, at an event, certainly message me godlogicproject.com, and. Uh, uh, if you guys, I'm getting a lot of people asking me now if they would, if, if I could, they're asking me questions about starting a YouTube channel. If I could help you in that way too, certainly message me. Guys, in the studio today, we have Greg Gicha. Gica. Gica. So that is not Irish. <laughs> Greg Gica. Yeah, Greg Gica. Um, it's an Italian spe spelling for a Romanian name, if you can believe that. So that is, uh, so you are, uh, I'm guessing, then a socialist. <laughs> so, no? No. <laughs> and I would say that I'm not necessarily pro any one party, but I would say that um, I'm definitely conservative as far as general opinions. Yeah, so I, I probably fall on the conservative side of things, although I kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, and, it, you know, we can go over those things, too, if you want. And then next to you is our friend Brian McGuire. Brian, how are you, buddy? Doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show today. It's good to have you here. Now, you are uh, more... Uh, you are more willing or more uh, a fan of like Bernie Sanders and democratic socialism and maybe maybe somehow applying that to uh, to America without sinking the ship altogether. So you're going to kind of make that argument, I think. 
something along those lines. I mean, I'd look at it as more of a realist, like what, what problems are we facing? What's causing those problems? And also like what, what are the problems to fix them? What much like you were saying about um, trying to avoid like a full on, you know, communism, which is, I think it's just kind of like the red scare that everybody's been. Yeah, talking yeah. About. it doesn't work. I mean, that's pretty, pretty obvious. I mean, from the 20th century, it, it hasn't worked yet. Uh, so that, so this is the argument. Now, now people like to argue extremes and here's part of the problem. Uh, people are, uh, <coughs> people are, uh, either all this or all that, and if if you're not all this with them, then you must be all that. So this is becomes this is where we we where we the God Logic Project kind of comes in. Where I want to have conversations with people that I don't agree with. Now I would say that Greg is a little more conservative than me. You're certainly more liberal than me, but it doesn't mean we can't sit down and have a conversation, have civil discourse without calling each other names. I ask a lot of people, by the way, on Facebook if they want to be on the show. And most of them say, while they're, while they're very brave behind a keyboard, most of them won't come in the studio and talk about anything. Uh, and they, even on Facebook, honestly, they, they make lowest common denominator arguments. That's why they weren't invited in the first place. Uh, you guys are here because you make pretty sound arguments. You make reasonable, rational arguments. Uh, even if I don't agree with you, I kind of respect the way you deliver them. So <clears throat> that's why you guys are here. I'm here because, you know, I got nothing else to do. Uh, and so uh, we're going to start off with, uh, we're going to start off with an interview that's on, uh, it's on YouTube here. We're going to put this on the air in a second. Now, this is, this is a show called The Rising. This is the YouTube channel of The Hill, which is a, a news organization. But, and we're only going to watch a little bit of this, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, they, they talk about Trump saying that, uh, that socialism now is, is pretty much unavoidable, which is kind of where I stand. And, and so we'll kind of kick that around. And Holly, we've got to start off with something I thought was pretty interesting coming from the Daily Beast that Trump is telling people privately socialism won't be that easy to beat, saying, you know, you can have someone you can love. Trump, according to someone who said a don donation, he goes, but many people love free stuff too. Holly, what do you think of uh, his analysis? I've often found him a much more astute political commentator than a lot of actual political commentators. All right, I'm going to stop him there because they're saying he's a, a more astute political commentator than a lot of political commentators. I'm not going to go that far. So astute and Trump doesn't come doesn't go together with me. What he is is very honest. He's very bold. Uh, he's like a guy from the neighborhood. So he, he talks like the people that I grew up around in New York. So when I hear this stuff, it isn't as shocking to me. Maybe it's like locker room stuff. It's like street corner stuff. Uh, but it is it does stand out like a sore thumb in Washington D.C. So. To say he's an astute political commentator, I think, is a little on the generous side. Let's go back to see what else they said. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it, it is true. I mm. mean, when he's looking at the numbers across the country, people do support uh, right. some of these socialist uh, efforts. And, I mean, the, the Democrat Party just, it's like every day there's mm. a new one and everybody's like, sign me up. Yes, yeah. please. So... On one hand, it, it, there is some truth to that. On the other hand, I think he saw, you know, in 2016, we don't want to just say this is a slam dunk. Like, yeah. We still need to raise money, not just for the presidential, but for all of these races. We need people to turn out. And if we tell our voters, hey, this is a slam dunk, who, who would vote I for socialism? I think on a messaging yeah. thing, you're, you're so right, which is if you spend this whole campaign going, but what about Venezuela, <laughs> then you're going to get your clock clean yeah. because that people are like, well, you know, I want some health care. Like, yeah. why don't we talk yeah. about the issues and the substance on that? What, what did you make of this, Jonathan? I, yeah. I don't mean to cut off Jonathan, but that's where I want to cut it off. So that's, that's a pretty clear... Uh, example of how maybe most people think about this thing. Certainly, if we get to give everybody health care, that would be a good thing. 
uh, I don't think that health care is necessarily a human right, right? And if that if health insurance is a human right, then isn't car insurance a human right or, or homeowner's insurance a human right? If you were to lose your home because you couldn't afford homeowner's insurance, then you're homeless and shelter is a home human a human right. So we it's once we open this can, I mean we could be gone. And I'll be honest with you, the Democratic Party seems to be gone right now. They are they seem to me to be off the reservation uh, as far as uh, as trying to outdo each other in in wokeness or cutting edginess. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is a good example of that, saying that he's going to take away 5013Cs from churches, which would shut down a church like mine. We don't make any money. We barely get by every month. Uh, or he's also, damn right, I'm going to take your guns. Uh, so they seem to, these guys seem to be racing to the edge of insanity. So when I, when, I, when I even hear this conversation, to me, why in the world would I trust these people to handle what would be a uh, monumental responsibility if, if, if the best they have is, uh, you know, open borders and, and disbanding ICE and all the other things that they seem to stand on that, uh, uh, that it just is irrational. I mean, it's emotional. I understand why they do it, but it, it doesn't make very much sense. So is there, Bri, is there a way, make a bit of an argument uh, or a defense of if this is even possible? Well, there's a lot you had said there. Um, and I agree with a lot of what you said, but I think we're, just, we're getting lost in between like these extremes and like, yeah, yeah. And, like all these like, talking points, but nobody's looking at the, the facts of the situation. So again, I just want to say thanks for having me on the show. And, um, yeah, I think this is a great idea to have a real conversation between you know, opposing sides and start to look at the real facts instead of just running around with all this you know, fake news or propaganda because I think there's a lot of that, that goes on on both sides. Yeah. Um, so I did want to just cover a few things just to kind of clear up um, you know, a, lot of what it, a lot of confusion, put it that way. So first I just want to say I'm not um, representing any person, party, or group, and I'm not arguing that one system is better than the other. I think they both have like a, you know, great, great qualities or whatnot. Um, if, if circumstances were different, I'd probably be leaning more towards capitalism or vice versa, because it's all about a balance to me. And in a lot of ways, we already have socialism in so many ways or in a mixture with capitalism, and it can work amazing if they work hand-in-hand, hand, is the way I, I t t tend to look at it. Um, instead of dissenting like, this race to the you know, the bottom and like we have all this like, wealth all, all the way up at the top and like nothing left for any, anybody else. Um, but I do feel like there's a lot of mis misconceptions as far as the, the capitalism and socialism. Because everybody has this, like, this red scare where it's like, oh, we're going to be communist China or Russia. And I also think there's a gener generational divide too because nobody really takes into consideration that I think part of the reason why capitalism in America has been so successful is because it, you know, post the World War One and World War Two or whatnot, a lot of countries were devastated and damaged and they didn't have the means for production, a lot of deaths, the workforce was low and we, we happened to be able to provide for the rest of the world and it, in a way, artificially propped up capitalism. I'm not saying it's all bad, but I think we kind of have like a, um, it, it's just propped it up in a, in a lot of ways throughout the years. So the, uh, and I, I would agree with some of that. So the, uh, uh, we have an we have the opportunity here. There's a couple of things that uh, there are a couple examples of what what Bernie Sanders certainly would use as examples of successful democratic socialism. And he always goes to Scandinavia, he goes to Norway and Sweden. Uh, I would argue that that even if it works there, it wouldn't work here. So here's my my take on socialism: is your home, your family is generally a socialistic society. Mom and dad earn the money, and the kids live off that, right? Uh, that so there is based on the homogenous conditions that you have, there is a success rate there. So within the church, a church is a church, an individual church campus like mine is kind of socialistic. So when somebody has extra, we help other people in our church uh, who, who fall down on their luck. So that is a socialistic structure. Uh, 
my my guess is, or my problem is, that it wouldn't work very well in a melting pot like the United States because we are more, now more than ever. But even before Obama and Trump divided us, we were we were we were not an homogenous group anyway, right? So although we were a melting pot and people assimilated to the American way, we always held on to some uh, cultural identity uh, where you don't have that in Sweden, you don't have that in Norway. Uh, there's arguments that they aren't really socialistic. Uh, in fact, the president of Norway told Bernie Sanders to stop, stop saying that. Uh, so the, uh, but there's, there's ways that it works and ways that it doesn't work. My thing is I, I can't see it working in, in such a, a large country and such a uh, socially divided country as we are culturally divided country. And our politicians that are suggesting this can't seem to stop dividing us even more. So it, uh, my worry is, we get to a certain point, like Obamacare, I think, was designed to fail. It was a stepping stone to single pay, to a single-payer system. That, by the way, is one-seventh or 15% of the U.S. economy is in health care. So they essentially are, will manage to take over, uh, if they're successful, already one-seventh of our economy in just health care. So once you go too far, then the only, the only uh, solution may be for the government to save you from it. That's what worries me. So I, I just got to say something real quick. I think if you look at Obamacare, take a close look at that. I, f- I feel like it turned into like more of like a money funneling system towards you know insurance companies and big pharma and whatnot, and it you know, didn't wind up uh, helping out the people as much as it you know did because a lot of people are still struggling with that. Inc- I mean, it helped out some, but not not everybody. Yeah, it was super expensive. I'm sorry, Greg. We haven't even cut you in here. <laughs> so, uh, so for what we've talked about so far, buddy, what do, where do you stand on some of the issues we talked about? Well, so stepping back a little bit, when you talked about there being successful examples of socialism, I think uh, the family is a good example um, where that is successful. I think the concept of communes and that type of thing that are small groups of people work. And in all those examples, there's one difference between that and what would be the United States, and that is those are all monarchies. That is, there is somebody that's in charge of the entire group. So the parents are in charge of the family. You can argue as to whether it's the mother or the father in a particular family, but we all know that one of those two is in charge. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy, the uh, gal, but uh, that's the way that works. And in a commune, it's sort of the same way. The distinction between being in a monarchy and being in a free society is really freedom of choice. So we talked a little bit about Europe and various countries that are over there, and Brian mentioned the um, decimation due to World War II, mm-hmm. which is certainly true. But if we look at their histories, it's a little different than the United States. Every country in Europe and many throughout the rest of the world were all monarchies at one point. There are little fiefdoms that all combined yeah, yeah, until yeah. there was a large monarchy and there was a king, queen, or something that ran those uh, countries. They all had various revolutions that defeated the monarchy and replaced them with a sometimes democratically elected uh, government, sometimes not, but another government. If you look at the United States, the United States was founded on, after its revolution at at the very least, and freedom of choice, and it was an anti-monarchy society, specifically that. So people from Europe then immigrated in the 1800s, 1900s, uh, to the United States specifically because they had freedom of choice, and that is there wasn't a monarchy. The upside is you have all these freedoms to make your own decisions. The downside, of course, is you need to take care of yourself. Right. And that's sort of the principle that applies here. So the society started from something very different 
than the rest of the countries in the world. So when we talk about socialism or, in particular, socialistic programs, um, so in the United States we can point to Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, and things of that sort. Um, these type of programs were very natural in a society where you had a monarchy to say, this is what we're going to do, we're going to make the decision for you. So, for example, in France, um, obviously there was a monarchy at one time that was overthrown. There is now a democratically elected government. That government rules the people. It makes decisions for the people and decides what they're going to do. So they make the decisions as to what the health care options are going to be. They do make decisions as to what the pay wages are going to be. That's why you see strikes, national strikes all the right. time happening there in France. In the United States, the difference is culturally we came here to have the freedom of choice, and that is not to be told by the government what we should, um, what we should have for health care. Now, we all agree that everybody should have a certain uh, minimum, but the concept of the government telling everybody, this is how much you should pay for health care, these are what options you should have, these are the options you shouldn't have, is contrary to the basic culture in the United States. So the United States is culturally different because of our history than many of the other countries that we often use as examples of successful socialism. And I would say that many of those countries are not all that successful at all. Um, France has been having regular riots of uh, basically workers that are saying we're not being paid enough, we're not getting enough benefits. And the reason for that is there isn't enough money to go around, even though they prop up the economy. Many of the um, jobs in France are paid government jobs. A lot of people on on the right would point to Venezuela, but Venezuela, I mean, if you think about it, they kind of bet the house on gas prices. And when gas prices were $109 a barrel, it was easy to give everybody everything for free. They, they, that was a one-trick pony, though. That's all they had. So when gas prices go to $41 a barrel, now all of a sudden they don't have any money. Uh, the United States has kind of taken themselves off the market because we produce our own oil now. So the, uh, uh, the, the way it might work in the United States is if we continue to produce something. But the, the problem why it didn't work in a place like Venezuela is they don't really pr- they didn't produce anything but that oil. When it was over, it was over. Now they're recommending people eat their dogs and stuff for yeah, sanity dogs, down dogs there. Dogs don't taste that good, but uh, <laughs> go for cats. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm a cat lover, so let me take that back. Um, an interesting point there is that the Netherlands are heavily based, their economy is heavily based on oil, too, and they are semi-socialist. <coughs> If you look at the Netherlands, they were heavily socialist going back 20 years or so, and they've been slowly migrating away from that. Right. And the issues they were having is sort of what you would expect with socialism in some sense, and that is that people that were given advantages or programs via the government started to take advantage of that. There are stories of uh, professional students because you didn't have to pay taxes as long as you're in school. So why drop out of school just because you're 55? I mean, there's no reason to make that sudden jump. Um, So they've slowly been moving away um, from a socialist environment over recent years. And what I say, slowly moving away, that is privatizing businesses that they had originally taken over. I think they still control the oil industry in the Netherlands, but not much else. And most of that has been turned back to private ownership. So can we jump back to Venezuela r- real quick? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions with that. You know, some of the information that I sent you, if you want to um, pull up maybe uh, the number 36, 37, and p- specifically 38. I'll just, uh, while I'm you're doing that, I'll down. run over a few things. The, the history of Venezuela? Um, which one was that? 
36? Yeah, 36 it should be fine. I mean, some of these are kind of overlapping, but in particular, 38. All right, I'll get 38. <coughs> is it a video? Uh, no, but meanwhile, while you're um, uh, looking that up, is it, I think we're getting lost, lost w- or running away with a lot of these like, talking points. Because I took some notes on the overall history of Venezuela. And back in the late 80s, 90s, you know, things were starting to become a mess. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the rich were starting to overtake the government. And they also had an uh, IMF bailout. And then, that's, like you said, they started introducing austerity measures and whatnot. And you know, riots, a lot of corruption, and you know, followed. You know, eventually, um, let's just see what else I got here. Hugo Chavez, you know, runs on giving the country back to the people, and he wins by a landslide. He basically took the Venezuelan oil because he actually had the lo- largest oil reserves in the world, and he started taking that money like, and putting it back into the economy. And he he rewrote their constitution to make himself essentially a dictator. So once he got elected, he just changed the constitution to make him uh, unimpeachable or to keep it hip, to keep it current. Uh, he he was in absolute control by the time he was elected. You know, he was duly elected. But uh, didn't stay that way. Does that right, make I'm sense? I'm not saying it was all like perfect down there, but e- either way, you flipped the country country around, and they became like wildly success wildly successful. You know, everything improved. He lifted people up out of poverty. Literacy rates went up. Health. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2006, you know, there was um, three billion arms deal with Russia moving in, at, uh, and this is going back to like more recent events. Mm-hmm. So in the last like 10, 15 years, you know, Russia starts moving in. They went you know, kind of in on in the mar- in on the market and whatnot. Uh, followed by in um, 2007 is when it, uh, you know, they started severing ties with the IMF, uh, with the World Banks and whatnot. That's where you see started seeing a lot of these problems coming up. So here they are, you know, being wildly succe- wildly successful and, like, doing okay. It might not be perfect, but everything's doing a lot better. And we kind of came in and started artificially, um, you know, I guess, economic, yeah. through economic warfare. And as you can see, that what you just pulled up on the screen there, can any country really survive some of those sanctions that we want to placing on them? If you want to take a you know brief uh, brief look through that, and I feel like that's you know part put you it on the screen so we can look at it. It's a lot, but the uh, yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. So you can't really say like socialism took down that country when we're like artificial when we're taking him out you know behind closed doors. We can run with these talking points of like, oh socialism's bad, it fails. But we, we got a list of I don't even know how many are on there that of, of policies that you know made things much more difficult and basically crashed their economy. So that, so our our getting involved, our putting sanctions on them because they started getting in bed with. Russia, I'm guessing, right? Russia now in the in the Western Hemisphere for the first time since Cuba. Uh, so we didn't like that. Start putting sanctions on them, uh, and and then oil prices collapse, and and now they're in big trouble. Yeah, and sure. And I, I just want to elaborate on this a little bit further because this is very important, especially in re- in recent times. It seems the U.S. has a history of doing this throughout the world for decades now, especially you know with oil. You look at the Middle East, but right now as we're focusing on Venezuela, in, d- in 2013. Uh, Chavez dies, and then the U.S. tries to get a, in the, the leader, or in a leader to basically represent our business and our corporate corporate interests or whatnot. So we have a kind of like a almost like a shadow puppet kind of government or whatever. So it's a very U.S. friendly, uh, friendly to U.S. businesses, I should say. And then of course there's the whole you know um, thing with uh, Maduro, you know, trying to get elected and de- delegitimize him and kind of destabilize the nation. And then uh, 2016, it, you know, things really escalated, um, and it, a lot of this has to tie into like Saudi Arabia and Russia, and everybody's starting to work together. Like what a lot of people don't realize, this is like a global thing. Um, so I'm just trying to follow my notes here, because we're kind of jumping around a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, in 2016, if you want to jump to uh, pull up another video, this is uh, um, number 34, right? Well, could I make? Yeah, yeah. Do, do talk you know, while I'm jumped, doing this. I moved away from Venezuela as far as the we talking pull out. Now I t- And uh, instead of talking about Venezuela, I brought up the Netherlands, which is heavily dependent on oil as well. 
and uh, I think Kevin brought up the point, and that is anybody that uh, introduces a competitor of the United States, particularly in terms of government styles, and that is communism and our yeah. historical problems with Russia, and they invite them into a neighboring country, is essentially going to be our enemy. We don't want to go to war with everybody, so economic sanctions are the standard way to do that. There's plenty of countries, particularly in South America, that the U.S. has very little business with. I have friends that come from Peru, for example, and I was kind of shocked. I was asking about their economy and their imports from the U.S. and stuff. Their primary uh, trade relationship is with Japan, which seems odd. It's across yeah, it's so the far away. Yeah. yeah, but it's actually the next country over across the Pacific. So huh? there's actually a lot of immigration that's happened there historically and stuff. So countries. Um, that are socialist in Europe, the United States have uh, relationships with them, and there isn't really a problem. So when I think of you talk about Venezuela, and the reason that the U.S. government was hostile to them was not Venezuela at all, or the local politicians, although there were um, some shouting matches back and forth. Well, I we'll get in bed with corruption if we have to. I mean, obviously, Saudi Arabia is a good example of that. Sure. But the I want a, I want a president, I want a government that... that, uh, that Defends the United States. Yeah, that has our best interests. So what I didn't like about Obama was that he was a globalist. That he, if we, if we hired, if we were a football team, we hired a football coach. I wouldn't want a coach that wanted to finish eight and eight, and and everybody in the league finish eight and eight. I want a, a coach that's going to finish sixteen and zero, or at least try to. That's what I like about Trump. Even though I'm not a big Trump guy, is he puts he does put America's interests first. Uh, and and what Clinton did and what Obama did in in South and with Venezuela is protecting American interests. I almost can't fault them for that. Right, and I would say that the f- the example in Venezuela is less a matter of politics because Brian's right; they became our enemy, so we took sanctions against them. The reason they became an enemy is less to do with politics there and a matter of global politics and their association with Russia. It's interesting to look at as to what happens when socialism collapses, and that's basically the same example of doesn't have to be socialism, the collapse of any economy. And that is there's all the resources for transportation to bring products or food into uh, various places to be distributed. That falls apart. The currency collapses, so there's no money to buy things, and you get the example of eating cats and dogs. Um, but that's what happens when any economy collapses. So it's in more interesting to me to look less at Venezuela as other than what happens when it collapses, to look at some of the um, uh, northern European countries such as Sweden and Norway that are slowly moving away from socialism. They were highly socialistic in the first place. And some of the reasons they were that way had to do with what you brought up originally, uh, Kevin, talking about the United States. And they are a very homogenous society. Yeah, they're a lot more disciplined than we are uh I don't want to, by the way, I want to make this uh, internal, socialism in America, not how socialism is done all over the world. So I don't want to go too far off the rest of the world. But the we can hold up we can hold up our country, our political structure to other political structures and see in almost every country around the world there there uh, there's a, a camaraderie on, on the on the that they're all French, they're all German, they're all Venezuelan, they're all Nicaraguan, there's a national pride. The United States it's a little different. We pride ourselves on being multicultural. We pride ourselves on uh, being from all four corners of the world and, and then uh, unifying under a common flag with a common goal and common good. Uh, so it's to me, it's a little bit trickier to make this work here than anywhere else. And if Venezuela had more than oil, 
they might have been in better shape, right? They, they, the, uh, the problem is in Venezuela that wouldn't be a problem here is we produce a lot of stuff. We produce all the technology, all the uh, innovations come out of here. So we could almost do what you're talking about. But can we do it? Can we do it and, and not tip the ship too far? So how, do we have a social program that you would point to? Brian, you probably want to answer this, that you would point to the United States and say, this has been successful. Well, first, before we go on, I don't get over the video while I'm speaking. If you want to for, fast forward to about uh, 46 seconds, 48 seconds, I'm just going to and just hit pause while I just finish this uh, last uh-huh. thought of, on Venezuela, and we can move off of that. But again, this draws to the point that, you know, we're, we're looking at all these other countries as examples, and again, I'm not saying Venezuela was amazing, but they were doing far better before, you know, we introduced, like, corruption and, like, kind of artificially, you know, took down their system. They were doing fine without us. They're a foreign nation. They, they did they, and after, after they kicked us out and said, like, no, we're going to keep our resources to ourselves, that's when all this started started happening. We saw those sanctions. They became, like, not friendly towards the U.S., and here we are. Like, we, we should be leaving them alone. You, you know what I mean? But if you want to go ahead and I'll play this clip real quick. Is it recently? I think it was from earlier this year. So yeah, we'll, we'll play this. We'll talk about it. And then we're getting a lot of comments on Facebook, on YouTube. This, so this we'll clip is just, well. uh, and it's only about a minute or two long, but um, just to get an idea of, like, you know, our, our foreign policy and what our le- leaders and where they're taking us. Where about you want to stop it? Places. And then we pull out. Now, I took a lot of heat, except from conservative people. When we went over there, I said, hey, I assume we're taking the oil. Are we taking the oil? And people said, what a horrible thing to do. You know, in the old days, you had a war. You ever hear the expression, to the victor belongs the spoils? Several different examples. Okay, to the victor. And I took such heat. It actually was Al, it was at CPAC. I said, if we leave it, take the oil. At least pay us back. And I come out, front page news, oh, Trump is a horrible human being. He wants to take the oil from a sovereign country. Sovereign, give me a break. You see the people ripping off sovereign. We got no business taking other countries' versus like that. Take back the oil. Once you go over and take back that oil, they have nothing. But how do you take you it know, back? right? You have to go in. You have to go With in. With ground troops. Well, you bomb the hell out of them, and then you encircle it, and then you go in, and you let Mobile go in, and you let our great oil companies go in. Sure. Once you take that oil, they have nothing left. But the people will appreciate it. All right, so what, what he's talking about here, and that's a lot. Uh, he's talking about uh, if we go and liberate these countries— do they owe us? Why are we spending our money to liberate these countries uh, right. like Iran and Kuwait would be the, the right example? talking about hypothetical yeah. situations. But Iran and Kuwait was in hypothetical. If, if we liberate Kuwait, then do, are they not, do they what not do, owe us? Li- what are we liberating them from is what I'm getting at. Like, well, get, actually, when throughout Kuwait, Kuwait was actually invaded and they were an ally, so we were forced to defend them, uh, and that's under well, the whatever well, the let's first Let's stick with push. Venezuela for right now instead of like jumping out because there's plenty of history of history throughout the world that we can you know point fingers at but using venezuela as tie- tying into this you know podcast with the socialism why they failed yeah, they kicked out u.s companies and then we started all these hostilities towards them and like you know we got we got a leader of our country saying we're going to go in take their oil like using examples from across the world but you know er- early in this year like him bolton on pompeo they were all sitting here saying like let's jump in and take the take the oil and like because we kicked them out. We want those resources. We have no right. They're a foreign country is what it comes down to. But we never did. I think, like Kevin said earlier, did he's you see that list of sanctions that I just had up there? That, that was we, and as Kevin said earlier, we always have sanctions to avoid war with somebody that's hostile to the United States. And the they issue were hostile, wasn't They were Chavez. hostile towards our companies, not towards the United States. Well, if, they, no, they if, no, if they're, if they're inviting the Russian military that, the that close to the United States, we've got a problem. For protection from us. Yeah, well, that's yeah, yeah, arguable, arguable. But the... Uh, 
we've got a lot of comments uh, going on. I'll read the comments to you guys, and then we'll go to Gre- the Craig's uh, Greg's slides. But uh, I told folks to comment here. Uh, one guy says, uh, the ones who favor socialism are the everyone gets a trophy generation, a group of people who never had to work hard and take risks to get a reward. Uh, and they're used to handouts. Hand out. So the participation trophy thing, I agree, was was it felt good, but it didn't do any good. So we got to be very careful uh, in also America. It's a sheltered perspective where you're always going to win and somebody's going to take care of you, so you tend to be very fragile if and you're raised that way. Right, and then you get out in the real world and nobody cares uh, that you participated unless you get a government job, then you just have to show up. But in the private sector, you've got to produce something. You've got to be good at what you do to, to, to get as what everybody else gets. So that, he makes a pretty good point. Another guy says... Uh, manage that we can easily provide health care for our people. There is no good reason for the, in this country why anyone should be going bankrupt or dying because they can't afford health care. Fair enough. I agree with that. Uh, and to say we've, uh, same guy, and to say we've never worked hard in our lives is absolutely BS. I've busted my behind since I was 14. I served eight years in the Navy, and I'm working on a second degree. Uh, same guy. I paid my own way all my life. Uh then the first guy, Kevin, can you ask your guest what socialist systems, oh, we just did this, what socialist systems he recommends for the United States. We're going to get to that. Uh, and then uh, the, the second guy, uh, yet I still want to see better from my fellow countrymen. You think patriotism is waving a flag and chanting USA. And then the same guy, uh, to me, patriotism is looking out for our fellow Americans and investing in the future and security of this nation. So I like the last line for sure. He and I are on, I'm not on, pay, on board completely with any of those comments, by the way, except that patriotism is putting America first. So it doesn't mean that we have to rape the rest of the world, no, it's but we have to make sure that, that our needs are met. We're not spending money in foreign aid all over the world, which is better than war. I'll well, give them the, that. There's a difference well, between putting America and American citizens first and corporations and property first. This is supposed to be a government formed by the people, not by, by pro- the corporation. Yeah, by, by corporations for profit. All right, so well, why don't we go through the presentation, because I try to just uh, clarify some points. Um, I guess I'll just go with. All right, what are we looking at? Capitalism versus socialism, historical individual business and practical sure. views. Let's just move on. That's the title slide. Uh, okay. I mentioned this earlier, but it's interesting when we talk about uh, socialism in a general sense. Socialism comes from Karl Marx. Communism right. is the full form. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really talks about a collective, and that is that there is a collective. Um, communism is that all people work together. There is no government. Okay, Socialism is where there's a government on top of that, and we all try to work together. This came out of European. Obviously, Karl Marx was there. Uh, we also hear the same thing from Karl Marx talked about the bourgeois with, uh, versus the proletariat or the business leaders versus the workers. Uh-huh. Robin Hood said the same thing, we'll steal from the rich and we'll give to the poor. But the basic concept here is they would replace the current government with a more fair government. Okay? Right. And we would have to then trust them to – so – So you would replace the current monarchy with elected citizens that would then represent the people and it would be more fair. So that's that's the environment. I'm not talking about the individual cases of socialism uh-huh. or communism. but That's the environment this came out of. In the United States, um, where capitalism took hold and I think was first really realized, whether it still exists in its full form or is secondary, had to do with the fact that there was never a ruling class in the United States. There was a 
uh, entrepreneurial class that rose, and all of these people were people that uh, the people that were business leaders in the United States turned out to be those people that invented the great new product, were the perhaps the best, most productive worker, the best manager, whatever. And in this form of capitalism, these people rose to the top and became the com uh, company leaders. Um, examples historically would be railroads, uh, lumber, telephone companies, if you go back 100, 150 years. Uh, 20 years ago, it might have been IBM or Microsoft. Today, it's a different collection of people that are sitting there at the top of the 1%, perhaps Amazon and Google. When you compare this to Europe, though, it's quite a different situation. The people that are in the government rule the people. That is, they replace the monarchy. So these people rule the people and tell them what to do. The Europeans were very used to a monarchy. They're used to being ruled. The United States people came here for freedom of choice, so they're not used to having a ruler. Right. They're really used to having servants. So, so next slide. These fairly quick. Yeah, we'll have to. People are going to start not watching. Can I just okay. jump in on that real quick? Yes, you jump in about on like it. All these like monarchies and all that. But let's, just, let's keep in mind like how, how corrupt our government actually is. You know, I'm just going to throw out a couple of definitions real quick. You know, plutocracy, a, a country well, or society governed by... Wait a by second. A um, just to talk about what I really only want to do is define what capitalism and socialism okay, that's, is. That's, so that's that gives enough. us right. a good starting right. point. Right. And I was talking about Europeans starting from monarchies and migrating. So, so we're back on the slide. Look at capitalism. The basic concept behind capitalism is uh, quality of opportunity. So companies that invent the great new product, they're going to be successful. A company that develops a similar product but is a little bit cheaper, they're going to be successful. Uh, companies that improve the product, same sort of thing. Um, company that can reduce their costs, whatever that means, uh, develop it more efficiently. All of these companies are successful. But what they're doing in the background is we're developing new products that people want. You know, it's only successful if people are going to buy it. Secondarily, over time, the prices of those products decrease, and that has to do with competition and such. And that's one company to another, or they, the same company simply improving their products. Unwanted products, however, are perhaps um, old, outdated, so they're obsolete. They tend to disappear. Products that you develop that nobody wants – those companies failed. In the United States, is over 60% of the companies, maybe up to 80%, new companies that fail in the first year. Yeah. And the reason for that is they're simply unsuccessful, but people have the freedom to choose as to what they're going to do. It turns out the workers in capitalism are in the same boat as the companies. The companies really are people. And that is the guy that invents the new product is very successful. He makes a lot of money. The guy that improves the product, makes it more efficient in developing the product so it's cheaper to do, is very good. And the hard worker who reduces the cost. All of these people, and you can press, I guess, the mouse, um, really improve or help the capitalistic society. The downside, of course, with capitalism is it's your own freedom. So the guy that doesn't work as hard um, is... Uh, Does, isn't rewarded to the same proportion, basically. And he, may, he may get fired is what really might happen. The really successful um, uh, employees move up the scale. The average employees stay in the middle, and the ones on the bottom can be dropped out. The other thing is this is all freedom of choice, so your benefits are your choice. You're paid a lot of money. It's your choice to get health care, not get health care, whatever you want to do, but the benefits in capitalism tend to be smaller because everything is your choice. Mm -hmm. So then... Socialism is equality of outcome. Exactly, and that is we want this to be fair. So all the employees at a per, uh, particular level, um, you know, are paid the same amount of money. Um, 
that's very fair. Um, see, all the employees get certain amount of benefits. So typically in Europe, for instance, that certainly includes health care, reduced cost of housing. It includes public transportation, that type of thing. Uh, the workers that get promoted, in order to be fair, are those with the most seniority, so the ones that have been there for uh, the longest. So it treats all the workers the same. The problem with this is it takes no uh, account of the individual people that are working within the companies. So there's no allowance for somebody that's a little bit smarter, a little bit uh, More a harder worker, and these people are not promoted in a system. So your harder workers are not promoted to be the manager that teaches the other workers how to do it. Your right, smarter right. guy is not promoted to be the next inventor to do that type of thing. And worse, the people that are promoted to be the next managers are the ones that have been there the longest. So they're not proven managers. They tend to just look at people as numbers and that type of thing. So that's with how the company works. Um, and there's, like me, it says right the there, there's no downside to being unproductive, which is, which is a big caveat. So... Uh, I think in Norway and Sweden, uh, they they took pride in being in, in producing their national product, Volvo or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that we we may not have that benefit here because people. It seems to me people are too comfortable. If you come home from work and 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 the wife says, "How was work today?" and you say, "Good," you basically mean you didn't get fired. So you may not have had a good day in terms of of a productive day. Now I own my own business, so I had to be productive, or you didn't get paid. I, I, I've had jobs throughout my life, but when I, when I was uh, a plumber and had a plumbing company, uh, it, was, it was all up to me, right? So I had to, I had to pick the best people to, uh, if they couldn't make me money, I didn't have any use for them, right? If, I, if they need me there, I don't need them there because I know how to do it. Yeah, and that's, that's, you're looking at it from a capitalistic perspective. And remember, on the top of the slide, it says academic theory. So we're talking about ideally and in general how these things work. And we talked about the workers, and there's real advantages. It's hard to get fired. Yeah. Uh, the disadvantage is it's hard to get promoted or get raises, too. It's almost impossible. Well, we see that in, in – I grew up in New York City. It was kind of everybody wanted a city job. Everybody wanted essentially a government job. And New York City's uh, government is huge, right? And, and, right? and their taxes reflect that. And we've talked about the fact that some socialistic aspects do exist in the United States, mm -hmm. and those are good examples. Another interesting point is the companies under socialism, and that is, I mentioned before, the people that rise to the top are not the people that are the most inventive, most productive, hardest workers. They're the people that have been there the longest. And in most socialistic um, economies, the people that actually run the country and the general economy are people that rule the country. They may have been democratically elected, but they are rulers. They are not people, a government that serves. These people have to make all the decisions. These yeah. are the people that decide what the next great product is going to be, um, you know, and what the prices of the products are going to be. And that's kind of an interesting thing where in socialism, the price of the product tends to be based on how essential it is for people. The obvious example is bread is very essential, um, water is essential. All the paper, those things are expensive. Yeah. So you make them very cheap in a socialist society. The downside of that is when the economy starts to collapse, there's no revenue coming in for those things. So there's no money to actually produce those things. So those are the first things that we run out of, and it's uh, kind of Are the essential things. That's The essential things, because the things that the government thinks are luxury items, they charge a lot for or they tax heavily on. Um, we can probably jump a couple of slides in. Yeah, because we, we might be losing viewers now. Real quick, I just want to say this oh, is there's the There's the famous uh, Russian car. 
everybody. This is all great, but nobody's talking felt. about going to actual like communism or socialism. No, but this about is, we're talking about policies to support the yeah. And like what we'll about. talk about next is what have we applied well? What can we apply? What can we do I, better? I feel like all this or a lot of this is like stuff like fifty years ago, sixty years ago, no, or whatnot. But this is how <laughs> socialism Boomer. works. <laughs> so this is the elites choose for for you. You're giving up. You have to understand with socialism, you give up your personal freedom. So if we were to talk about uh, socialized medicine, we no longer have a choice as to what plan we get. Wait, wait, no, no, no. That's that's not what anybody's talking about these days. Like nobody's talking about everybody like choosing your doctors. Like we can touch up on that later. I'll let you finish on that. But All right. we're not talking about this communism. No, no, no. This is uh, what socialism is. Okay, and it says uh, here's the uh, academic theory. This is exactly what socialism is. Right, but the topic the was like decide. socialism coming to America. Nobody's talking about these ideas and policies coming to America. This is all. Like Red Scare. No, no, no. We're well, talking, we're not talking, talking about it. My worry is if we if we introduce some of it, do it, when do we stop? If we go too far, can we turn back? Or then do we need the government to do these things for us? And then are we is our ship sunk? I would sunk? also say the basic concept between, well, the difference between socialism and capitalism is socialism is allowing the government to make choices for you. You're giving up your freedom. Now, you can say that it's only for health care particular policies. And that's fine. It would be one little bit at a time. Uh, but you're giving up your freedom in that particular case. So if my argument against socialized medicine is not necessarily quality or anything else. It's more a matter of that I want to be the one to choose how much I spend and what I get for my return. That's really my so that's my argument there. What if we so let's do this. What uh, uh, what socialized program is has worked well in the United States? Education. Fairly well. No, we're actually doing no. horrible with education. We're, I think we're ranked. Um, and social uh, education, by the way, is run by the state, so it's it's probably a bad example. But social security, you could bring up. Yeah, uh, well, they Medicare, social Medicaid. security was Even probably a good plan until they spent it all. Yeah, exactly. That's They're, our corrupt government. That was FDR, and that the reason. Well, so in for instance, government supply or employer supplied insurance was instituted by FDR as well. During uh, World War II, FDR decided it was unfair for companies to pay their employees more money while we had soldiers on the battlefield. So he interrupted the economy and said you can no longer give raises. In order to attract the best workers, companies still had to do something to entice them to come so to them. So they used benefits. So they started giving benefits as part of the package. So it was one of these things that FDR accidentally introduced. We all know that FDR also decided that during the Great Depression, all of his fixes had to do with socialistic spending, big government projects mm -hmm. trying to employ people, and it didn't fix the economy. He also decided that since everybody lost their money in the stock market crash in the late 20s, early 30s, that he would fix that for everybody as well. By the FDIC? or So he introduced Social Security. Social that was Security. under FDR as well. So both of those things were kind of these huge fixes where it was fairly obvious that um, the big government projects, although it's nice to have the Hoover Dam and stuff, mm -hmm. um, really didn't employ people beyond the in individual product uh, project. So it didn't fix the economy; it just employed people temporarily. Temporary. So it's and a it's a stopgap of some sort. But the social uh, security just carried over or forward from that point, and that's where we stand today. So it's sort of this leftover from a democratic policy. Well, there was point. a time where our, where our public schools were good though, right? So they, in the past 20 years, we've gotten our butts kicked, uh, globally, but were we not, I went to private school, I went to Catholic schools until I went to public school and got, and then dropped out and got a job. But the, uh, 
uh, did, weren't we doing a good job uh, in education for a while? And how the heck did the wheels fall off? How, are, how do we suck so bad at it now? Well, that, that's what I'm getting. We're looking at all these things in the past. We're talking about problems of the past. We're not mm-hmm. talking about the problems that we're, we're currently facing now and problems like coming down the road in the near future. And like we're, we're not addressing any of these problems. It's great to look at you know, failed socialism countries. It's good to understand why. But we're not talking about actual socialism. We're talking about social policies and mixing them with capitalism. A system that works with like, for, for everybody. So what's so the next best socialistic program to, to, to plug into the United States? Well, I mean, per- personally, I, I think the, the hot topics are like education and healthcare. I mean, if you want to skip over to I mean, how, how much time do we got here left? Oh, dude, you can forget about being an hour. We're going to be two hours here. We're going to be an hour and a half at least. So make yourself I mean, comfortable. I mean, if we want to hop down to like healthcare, we, you know, we, we can certainly take, take a look at that. If you want to look at some education, like cause we, we got a whole generation that, you know, up to a trillion dollars in debt. That's just uh, people are being like tied up and like we're falling behind in the rest of the world like with education. Um, whatever you want to hop to, just just let me know. But are the kids, uh, are the kids in our? If we skip college for now, how is our public school system doing K through twelve uh, compared to how we were doing twenty years ago? Because I think I actually got some stats on that. If you want me to, I think it's kind of brutal the, uh, that I we've been at it so long and we spend so much money on it. And we're not. We're getting worse at it, not better. Right. I would, I'll let Brian look up his stats on that because that would be fairly interesting. But that's sort of a separate topic uh, in the sense that the education system, K through 12, are individually run by the states. So all states were different for a long period of time. And each one had their own priorities, and that has to do with local taxes, and different states were rated differently. I think over the past 20 years, we heard things like Common Core and trying to uh, federalize those programs. By doing that and making them standard across all states, what we did is water them all down so, so that all the states plummeted. Yeah. So that's an example of a non-federal program. I wouldn't call that necessarily a socialistic failure in this case of education because it was never mandated that K-12 through be run by the federal government. Common Core stands alone as, as maybe the worst idea ever. So if you've ever helped a kid do Common Core math... I have to tell them, this is how I do it. Just get the right answer and hope for the best. Because I don't know what the hell they're talking about. So Common Core isn't the problem. Common Core is a big screw-up, but we were kind of screwed up anyway. I think what what you've touched on there is we've lowered the standards so low in our education system that everybody would then succeed or be more likely to succeed that we've uh, we've, – we failed to, to cater to the kids that were particularly gifted, right? So the, I went to, like, what you would consider kind of Ivy League high school in New York, and uh, I was not meant for that kind of school. So there were kids that deserved to be there uh, that uh, that I was a good athlete, so I got to stay until I wasn't a good athlete anymore. But the uh, the there were kids there that were truly gifted, smart, rich kids. We weren't rich, uh, but they uh, – uh, they, they – had a way of, of pushing kids past their potential or raising their potential. What we've done now is, unfortunately, and this is part of the reason why Brian and I, I think, don't trust the government, is because we, we can't trust them with anything. So there was a time when our education system wasn't terrible, and now it's terrible. And now here's my problem why we're talking about history, Brian. If we forget history, we're doomed to repeat it. If we try this again with something else, and it, you know we'll have our heyday for 10 years, and then all of a sudden... We need more government involvement to save a, a government system and more government involvement to save a government system. Next thing you know, we've gone past the tipping point that I fear. Does that make sense? Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like we're just kind of like talking in circles and not looking at real real problems. Like a lot of our real problems come from like lack of resources. Like the, like so many people are struggling and it, it takes out that bottom, like that, that 
it's not about the equal outcomes like you were talking about with the socialism. It's about like an equal starting place. The 60% of the wealth in America is in inherited. And we have all these people that like don't, don't have you know food to put on the table that they can't afford to go to college. And it just puts them at such a dis disadvantage. But nonetheless, jumping back onto the education thing, if you wanted to pull up um, uh, number 32 of the, one of the links that I had sent you uh, previously coming on here, we, we, we rank 24 out of the world. Like China's up there number one. And the scores are, you know, of course, they're based on like a lot of different metrics and whatnot. But overall, for the total school score, the, the numbers that I'm going to be reading off it goes by total score, followed by reading, followed by math, followed by science. So China's number one with 1731, 556, 600 in math, 575 in science. And then there's, you know, followed by countries like Hong Kong, Finland, Singapore, Japan. Canada's actually n at number six. And then New Zealand, Taiwan, Netherlands, Australia, some other, other countries up there. Ger Germany's at number 14. Norway's at number 18. The United Kingdom, Denmark. Slovenia, or Ireland, and a whole bunch of other countries are ahead. Those are the countries that are ahead of us. Now, the United States, we scored down at number 24, like 1489 overall, 500 for reading, math 47, and science 502. So is this K through 12 that we're talking about here, or is it so. higher should, should education? Uh, oh, this is what we're looking for? Yeah, that, that, that's the full list at the bottom. The, the all right, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm trying to see. Metrics. And if you wanted to pull up um, your number three just on – uh, or no, I'm sorry, not number three, number 33 on education as well. It's just a, th this one's just a general, it was an article or whatever that had some references to, um, yeah, paying off the student loan debts, which I, by the way, would benefit from. So I'm a perfect uh, candidate for socialism, by the way. I'm disabled, I'm broke, and I have student loan debt well, still. So this is another <laughs> issue where we're, we're looking at not what uh, caused this problem. I had a student loan, for example. Um, I got a student loan that was something I could afford to pay back given the career or the education I was getting. Um, it turned out I didn't even work in that field, lucky for me. Yeah. But I got a uh, student loan to get a degree in electrical engineering. I was a horrible student, so I <laughs> went to school a long time. It's collected a lot of student loans. However, it was a degree that I was able to use to get a fairly good-paying job and pay off the student loan. What happened between when I got my student loan, which is scarily 30, 30 plus years ago, and the current uh, situation is when I applied for the student loan, they looked at what degree I was going to get and whether I would have a income to allow me to pay off that loan. What happened in recent years is, for one reason or another, the loans became less guaranteed. And that is people were getting loans for degrees that were perhaps dated, for example, 20 years ago, it might have been good to get, you could earn 100000 if you're a programmer. Programmers are kind of a dime a dozen now. And in fact, every 10 or 20 years, the, what's the new yeah. hot it, um, vocation tends to change. People were getting huge student loans for degrees that really didn't have any payback. Um, and that could be that the degree didn't pay very much or it was highly competitive. For instance, if you're the best basket weaver in the world, I'll bet you can earn a million dollars. But there's a lot of basket weavers out there so if you were to get yet another degree or you were uh, looking at earning a fortune by being just a programmer today, you would lose out. In fact, if you were doing getting a degree in um, mechanical engineering that concentrated on building car motors, you probably wouldn't do very well. If you got a degree that had to do with designing electric car motors, you might do better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, so it really makes a difference. As it's to very dynamic. And, and why are we lending people money? Uh, maybe we should be more careful about who, which students, based on this, the, based on the, uh, uh, the, 
the major they choose and how it applies, how that's, it benefits exactly the, it. the country. Like so if you if you major in gender studies, you might have to foot that bill yourself. But if you major in the STEM, something that can pour back into our economy, then it's worth the government gambling on lending you money to do that uh, or even paying for your college to do that. So maybe they can do it with certain degrees over others. Uh, so a music degree, well, awesome is. more government control now? Like well, what, what people can't, can't so, go to school for? Or what, what, well, what they're willing to pay for. Well, so you can go to school for whatever you want. You can get a loan for. It's like the housing crisis. There's well, nothing why, wrong with Why are with we taking things. out loans in the first place? Other countries can do this successfully, and we, we can't. We're supposed to be, like, number one, the wealthiest country in the world. We can't even educate our the, citizens. The people that are getting high student loans, and I didn't want to bring this up, is when you go through uh, high school, if you do fairly well, you can get grants and discounts to attend college. And to be honest, despite my student loans, it was fairly cheap for me. The people that are not accepted at colleges and are not available or are not uh, able to get grants and stuff really are people that did not do well in uh, high school, do well enough in high school to really learn much in college. So those are the people that are asking for money. So these are the people that people are really feeding on, the banks are feeding on, giving them money for a college degree where they were not qualified in the first place. They probably looked for something, should have looked for something else, and I'm not against trades. I Worked as a I was a plumber a with a college degree, but it was I had kids. I, I had to make plumbing money, you know. I was a marine mechanic, but and I enjoyed that, that job. But it's sort of you shouldn't be given a loan for something that doesn't make sense. But that, that's right, not ahead. exactly what we're talking about as far as the socialism goes. We're talking about equality from the bottom up. We're not talking about, like, equal outcomes like we were talking about the socialism. That's why I think, oh, that's you know, kind of garbage. Nobody's talking about that. We're talking about basic meeting ba- people's basic needs, and that, that's where a lot of this like, comes from. Just for an example, I was talking to a friend last night over Facebook, and he was telling me about how he has, he, he has to like donate money you know, to 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 school for supplies. You know what I mean? We don't we don't have all this equality in schools all across America. We have like student lunch debt, not college student lunch debt, but like little kids like lunch debt, kids like twelve year old or twelve year old kids, you know, accumulating lunch debt or whatnot. But that's at a local level, and that's why I just wanted to separate the right, K through twelve in college. And the issue with college simply is that um, everybody has um, equal opportunity, and that is if you work hard in high school, you will do well and get loans and grants that go along with college. I think it is much like the housing crisis, that is that the banks were predatory towards students that are vulnerable, that despite the fact they didn't do well in high school, they gave them loans, and they then go to an online university that I'm shocked that is credited like or is it? I, I don't want to name names here, yeah. but there are universities that will take anybody as a student because they c- they can have an infinite number of students if they teach them online. They don't need facilities, and they get loans for these things. Yeah, it's um. I so think it's the banks are preying on the students is really the problem, and that's what's got to be cracked down on versus the cost of education, well, one which of the, is a separate issue. But what I have on the screen right now is that there is currently, is that true, one point five trillion dollars in student loan debt in this country? Yes, I think it's about. If I remember, it's about nine. Uh, nine billion or hundred tr- or one trillion of actual personal loans, and the rest is the like the government grants. Um, so th- a guy on a guy's commenting uh, two things that make sense to me. How come we don't talk about? No one ever talks about the cost of colleges as it relates to the salaries of the college professors and administrators. Wasn't that they, capitalism though, right there? Like that's what we got yeah, for. It is if the uh, if they would be maybe more competitive. But then also, uh, why is a degree based on the number of credits? Uh, I don't know why that is. Uh, his daughter needed to take classes that don't apply to nursing uh, to get her nursing degree. And then he says, Kev, I'm getting heated. So, uh, well, Welcome to the conversation. <laughs> so we're, well, we're, uh, we're being effective. So, well, so, so the, can we give free college? How, well, Bri, you haven't had a chance here. Yeah. So let's, let's stick with just free college. 
can we give free college, and how do we do it? Well, I don't have a, the numbers on that. I didn't come up prepared with that information, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely think if other country, countries can do it, you know, we, we can certainly do it. Th- this particular article you pulled up, you know, talks about, you know, overall we're talking about like capitalism and s- socialism. We wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't have a lot of problems in our current society. So this, this so I, I, I read an article, one of the articles you sent me probably, uh, and it, it talked about late-stage capitalism, that, that we're yeah, so that's, deep that's into the capitalistic yeah. process. So how do we curve it before we actually go to this full-on socialism? Yeah, until we go to the bourgeoisie proletariat thing that we've tried to avoid from the from the that's, onset that's, that's of our country. That's part of the conversation that we're trying to have. We're trying to make a society that works for everybody, not just like you know so, some successful people or people that are already so well-off they can afford all these like, colleges and whatnot. But uh, I just want to make a qu- quick reference to this, This um, speaking of the economy and tying this all in, because our economy is a house of cards right now. This particular article, some notes that I had taken from it, it talks about... Um, is that the article I have up? Yeah, it talks about uh, t- um, 10,000 students that had their debt canceled, right? Uh-huh. And throughout the, throughout the article, it discusses um, their, their overall, over a, a three-year period, their average income increased $4,000, and they had a better shot at moving, started a new job, and th- which essentially gives them more freedom. They're not locked into this like slave debt that they're, that they're um, locked into. Their credit scores had improved. And it, if they the the amount of debt that was um, if they canceled the debt, it would in roughly inject 108 billion dollars into the economy every year for 10 years. That's money being spent at like your local mom and pop shops, not just going straight to banks and like so they can make all these profits. Furthermore, it discusses um, they'd be less likely to default on loans like you know, car loans or house loans, things like that. They're more likely to find better jobs, contribute to better to society instead of just trying to get stuck in this like rat race, trying to just you know pay, pay the bills. Just like basically pay bills until you die. Well, I'm all for screwing the banks. I'd rather see regular yeah, mom and that, pop type of. Uh, right. I, I think that's, that's actually where the problem is. I think it's much like the house lending uh, uh, loan crash, and that is these were predatory loans. They should have been considered illegal. And I think in many of these cases, the banks loan money to people that were not qualified. Now, not qualified means degree would not allow them to pay it back. So they shouldn't have been able to get it. It's sort of like getting a car loan for a house for a hundred thousand, and a house is only worth eighty thousand. You simply wouldn't do that. So I think that there are many cases where the bank should be investigated for corruption, and that is giving loans where the student was never going to be able to pay the full amount back. Um, so that should be fixed from that perspective. That's I think I, I think the idea of just canceling all loans doesn't make sense um, because there's some sort of um, People have to take... Who uh, loses the money if we cancel all the loans? In other words, it would obviously... People, by the way, we are a consumer-driven market, right? So rich people save money, but everybody else spends it. So pumping... That would literally pump, for me, what do I pay, $185 a month for my student loans? That would pump... I would spend that. I mean, I wouldn't... uh, Knowing me and and my financial situation right now, I would take the kids to the movies. I might take them... Exactly, it goes right out back to eat. Right. So, so it goes back into the local economy. I don't so why is that a bad idea? We're not disagreeing all that far apart. Uh, we're talking about how the loan should be paid off. And I think in some cases the students are responsible. They have careers coming up where they'll be able to pay off those loans in a few years. Other ones should be canceled uh, by the government basically suing or reprimanding the bank for giving uh, loans to uh, students that were not qualified in the first place, and that's predatory practices. Mm-hmm. The other p- thing that happened during this period is just like the home loan um, and the housing crisis is, during this period, as soon as the banks started giving unlimited money to people that were not qualified, the educational institutes, of course, jacked up all their rates. Yeah, supply went up, so the price right. went up. Well, 
There was or demand went up, so the price went up. Yeah. Exactly. So they, they were given a lot of money, so they took the money. You asked, where did all this money go? And I think it went to the education institutes that took advantage of this. When we talk about affordable education, some of that is the side effect of what happened uh, with the banking system, giving too much too much money to people that were not qualified. But is that's capitalism law. for you. They're, they're all about like no, like no, making no. the money. But that's that's predatory practices. And or capitalism. It, no, in capitalism, that's all disallowed because in capitalism, you've got to have an even playing ground. You can't have one company run a monopoly in capitalism. Yeah, because so they, that would drive out their competitors. The, what we lack, their prices. what we what we are in danger of lacking is competition. So competition is what keeps prices down. So if somebody's making five hundred bucks a unit and I'm comfortable making four hundred bucks a unit, uh, that guy's going to have to bring his price down to compete with me. So the free market, in that sense, does self-correct. It does control itself. So supply and demand. It's it, you know, you take it in high school economics or college. Uh, it does it does work, except that now do we have too much of a concentration of money uh, in in central locations? So, uh, so the don't get off the mic too far, but you bring the mic to you. You don't have to go to the mic. Uh, do we have uh, uh, like we look at, at Silicon Valley? I mean, there is some powerful, not just rich, but powerful people that control the flow of information in our country unabated. Uh, that is a lot of power for for uh, a small handful of people. That that well, would be a, a huge problem. Example. Those those are the classic examples of where we declare them to be a monopoly. So if we go back 200 years and we looked at the people that owned uh, either newspapers, the railroads, railroads, and that type yeah. of thing, we took those AT and T. We took those people and said, "This is a monopoly. There's too much money concentrated in one place, or they own too much of the economy and broke them up." So companies so like that, I think, are prime examples of being. Um, are there small measures after? we can take? Bribe might speak into this more. Are there small? I have. I think we have a, a habit of oversteering the ship, both in our in our personal lives, in our businesses, in our small, in our bigger personal lives, and then globally or certainly nationally, we tend to oversteer the ship. Are there when there's little fixes we can do to fix the broken parts of our systems? Uh, instead, we, we take a, a huge, and, and it's, it's self-aggrandizing for the politicians. They do it to make themselves seem special, uh, but they, they, take the, they, make, they attempt or do these huge changes to things. Uh, and I would bring up Obamacare. They, bring, they make these huge uh, changes where a few little changes probably would have bore more fruit than, than, uh, than this huge change would have. So when I, when I, got, when I had to get Obamacare, it was three hundred and eleven dollars a month, and I still had to come up with the first six grand. So that's a lot of money. I would rather pay the fine at the end of the year and take my chances than to pay three hundred dollars a month. And if something happens, unless it's catastrophic, I can't go to the doctor. I'm going to have to pay three hundred dollars till I get to the six grand. So unless I have a heart attack or get in a plane crash, well, a car crash, uh, not, it's pretty affordable to get a plane crash. But the if if it isn't a catastrophic event. Uh, that then it makes sense for me to have it. Uh, so a young person, 25, 30, 40 years old, and, or at least in their 30s, they're not going to worry about a catastrophic event so much. They're going to be willing to take the hit uh, rather than, than to buy the expensive insurance. And if their employer now is no longer offering them private insurance, it, it creates a real problem. For you know, I was kind of for a while there in that kind of crack uh, where I was not going to spend three hundred something dollars a month and cough up six grand. You and like half the half the nation. Yeah, so it didn't work. I think it was designed not to work. And this is my worry. Uh, uh, I don't trust these people. And if we if we if they've 
screwed us with the amount of money we've trusted him with so far, and then we turn around and trust him with more money. Who do we trust, Bernie? Well, no, well and I would also say you brought up an interesting point that goes back to the education that is perhaps a, a slight difference in how Brian are, and I are looking at it. I'm looking at the education system, trying to find out what's wrong, and I can see that uh, students were lent money that they probably shouldn't be lent because they were not getting a degree that was worth that amount of money. Following that, the educational institutes took advantage and raised prices because now the students had all this extra money, which caused skyrocketing uh, costs. So I don't look at that as necessarily saying we wipe out the whole system and give back the debt. I look at that and say there are real problems. I was sexually abused by a member of the Jehovah's Witness organization. So <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. So that, that what get needs on to there. be done is <laughs> pay fix. no attention. Pay no yeah. attention. The man behind the curtain. Okay, so what we need to do is fix the problems with the systems, and I think the uh, bank should be held accountable for lending money that shouldn't have been lent. I think the educational institutes are accountable for charging way too much for some of the degrees only because there was money, so they kind of raped the students. And there's all these problems in the systems that need to be fixed versus um, the idea of saying, Let's throw out the system and just give away free money. Um, no, nobody's talking about giving away no, no, free money, I though. mean to pay off the loans. And yeah. then to step back, when I went to school, all of the state colleges were relatively cheap. Yeah, yeah. It affordable it, because it, the, the cost of living and all that, you make enough money back then to be able to afford Well, and the no, professors no, 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 didn't make six cheap. figures. They made 50, 60, 70 grand. Well, now they're making 300 grand. Harvard, but the local ones were good professors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went to a state school. I went briefly. And okay. that didn't last either. I, I got thrown <laughs> out of one and finished in another. But the thing is that there were institutes that were affordable for students that perhaps were fairly good, but for one reason were between the system and couldn't get a loan and or didn't quite qualify for the good institutes. And I think, again, looking at fixing the little problems, that needs to be looked at again. So these are the state universities. Why are they charging so much money? These are actually funded by the state. Yeah, why are they, they, get a lot why of are they income there. getting the same money that the private places right, are getting? Right, and I think they're taking advantage of the same situation where they saw all this money coming from the banks. So I think we have all these little pieces that need to be fixed. The educational institutes, what they teach is probably okay. You know, the overall system is okay, but there's big parts that are broken. Uh, that absolutely. It comes down to to, there's a lot of individual responsibility that, you know, you, you can put. But the, what I'm getting at is, like, the overall picture. So we're not talking about, like, the individual necessarily – the, the, the show is supposed to be about like you know socialism coming to America, which mm -hmm. again is yeah we're way off the rails now. This, this giant like red scare or whatever. But point being is you know overall we already do K through twelve. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, we have some private schools and there's certainly a lot of like holes. So that we add four more years about. or two more years. I mean, how much damage well, does that? Not, do? not even that. But what if we even like go you know reverse too and help with like childcare so people are actually good to be able to participate in the workforce or, and whatnot. You know, like pre K or whatnot, and also the rest of the world can do this. And we, you know, we're supposed to be the wealthiest nation. In the, in well, again, just a fine point here, but we, um, the federal government, I think, is dis not allowed to do K through twelve. They're not allowed to do education. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, is because that's allowing them to spread. Uh, propaganda and such. I mean, that's the reason for the laws. So it's state But we have Common Core, which comes down from the federal government. Yeah, but we have K through 12 that are done by the state. So it's an yeah. individual. So and, Yeah, but they're, they're still under, and here's my problem with the centralized power in Washington, is the Department of Education still tells every state what to do. So they set the standard of behavior for the, for the state's uh, schools anyway. This is the last thing I really have to say as far as the education goes. I'm just saying if the rest of the world can do it, 
you know, why can't we? I feel like the system, like, at the end of the day, let's face we live in a corrupt system. You know what I mean? There's people out there, like you said, the predatory banks and whatnot. They're trying to make money. They're the ones that influence the politicians or whatnot. As if it was the people making these, these decisions, like, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be in this mess. So at the end of the day, you know, it's we're, we're actually manufacturing a lot of these problems. Instead of, like, trying to plug these holes and keep up, we should be, like, taking the power back, give, restoring the power back to the people and, like, taking away from, like, these oligarchs that, that are, like, running our country, essentially. If you guys want to move on to another topic, I don't really have anything too much to say on education because I just feel like we're yeah, kind of... Just real quickly uh, to sum up a point, I think some of these policies where we said students be, should be allowed to go to uh, college even if they weren't accepted in the first pass and students should be able to get um, college loans even though they didn't uh, quite qualify or any of that, this was the laws were changed by well-meaning, good-intentioned people that said it's unfair that these few students aren't able to get the loan or that they're not accepted, so they should be able to go. By opening up the system, what ended up happening is people that were not qualified or going for education. So they had to lower their standards for the well, degrees or whatever. So they opened it up. So I think it was good intentions. I don't think it was the bank was evil and they started off being predatory. Uh, the politicians loosened the laws to allow this to happen because they were thought they were helping uh, people. Just like the real estate boom and collapse in 2008. Exactly. They, we lent money, uh, and I was doing mortgages during one of the times I was hurt. And if you had proof of purchase of your Schwinn bicycle, I can get you a mortgage. Based on you promising me you make $300,000 a year and have no debt. Right. Uh, was, it was, there were no doc loans that were just ridiculous. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and that's why I'm saying that that's really where the core of the problem is. And, yes, there's corruption and stuff. And, sure, banks want to lend money. You're just blowing up like corruption and stuff. Like no, no, no. But there's uh, – Students that default on their loans are losses for the banks, and a lot of this corruption exists in other countries. I think we can point to individual parts of the system that are broken and fix those versus replacing the system. Why are we fixing a broken system? system is the point, though. Like, why aren't we moving forward and coming up with a system that works from every? Because we're, 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 like, so far behind the rest of the world is the point. And, like, if you, if you want to move, because like, I know we're running short on time. And I mean, I got yeah, well, we'll kind of, we'll just kind of uh, stop with the slides and stuff like that for now, uh, and we'll talk. Uh, we may use my slides since it's my show. Uh, but the uh, uh, so what can we do? Like if we if we if we uh, allow for free education uh, all the way to through uh, a bachelor's degree, fair enough? Or do we need to do masters and doctorates and stuff like that? And do we include free? Do the, do we make it free to an associate's degree? And then if you if you may have to pay to get a, a 17th century interpretive dance degree, which you're never going to be able to sell anywhere. You're not going to be able to pour or return back into the economy. This is, yeah, but I mean, right now you're talking about the people in America were supposed to be able to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is what it comes down to. You're, now you're like talking, this is what the hypocrite, hypocritical side kind of comes in where you're like, socialism is bad, but now you're talking about if we give free college, you're trying to like limit to what people can do or based on like, you know, how, how well they perform or whatever. Like, we have plenty of money in this country. Like we're, we're not short of money. But if we take the money, and this is the problem with the 46% sales tax or the, or the wealth tax or anything like that, if we start taking money from the 1%, they're going to leave with their money. They, they've been they're screwing not this country stay. for decades. That's why we're in, in this. The, but we, all, all the well, we, we're going to start spending this money, and then everybody's going to move to another country where they or, or put all their money in the Caymans or whatever it is. If we overtax the people that actually produce in this country, that create the jobs that, that we enjoy and pay the taxes for the jobs, even the city taxes or government jobs, if we overtax so, these people, they'll be gone like Venezuela's oil 
and we're going to be screwed. This is what worries me. We have exact examples, and that is pick your favorite country in Europe and say most of them are socialistic to a great extent. But they're also capitalistic too. Well, partially. And so you pick your country and say, would I rather live there? Because, for instance, um, I I picked France because I've been there an awful lot. A lot of the companies I work for were based in France, so I was there a lot. And I could see the culture on the inside and the pros and the cons. And the interesting thing is the government does take care of you. Um, everybody has a pretty good retirement plan. They tend to retire early. The hours are limited and stuff. Um, they have reasonable health care. It's not as good as the United States, but it's much, much cheaper. The, nobody's going to – I think the health care costs in the U.S. are out of this world. It's ridiculous. So I won't get into that. However, their taxes are about double than us, and I have a uh, degree in a career in engineering. Um, So I won't say what the companies are, but I found out when those employees move to the U.S. to work here, they are paid the equivalent when you exchange from euros to U.S. dollars. So their taxes are double ours, okay? So we pay roughly 20%, just a random number. They pay about 40%, and that covers their health care. There's an investment in transportation, a bunch of different stuff. Their salaries are half ours. They came here, and the average, say, and a, this is just a random number, uh, the average engineer was earning 120 k They were paid 60 k here in Europe. So yeah. they had lower wages, and it's because it's been stifled. Why? Because everybody's kind of paid the same. Um, their amount of free time is drastically different than ours. Why is that true? And it's a matter of they have to do things on their own. So a good example is shopping. Everybody raves about great bread in Europe and French bread and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. That's fine. Um, but there's a distinction. There aren't that many choices in Europe. That is, when you go to the supermarket, you either – there's very little processed food. In the United States, we produce processed food because it's cheaper. It's cheaper because it can be stored longer so we can save it. It doesn't go bad and that type of thing. So there's very little processed food. What I found is that a lot of the people in France, for example – Go to the supermarket, they go to the bakery once a day, they go to the butcher every two days, and they get their fresh vegetables, and they spend about an hour a day shopping. We don't do that in the United States. We have freedom of choice, and we can do things. Part of that is that the government regulates what's allowed and not allowed for their citizens, and part of that turns out to have this side effect, and they use up the individual's time. So the choice of getting what you might want for products, which are cheap processed food, versus fresh stuff has been taken care of for you by the government. And those are one of the little things that you see in these economies. France, for instance, has capitalism. So do many of the European countries. But the largest company in the world is probably Thompson. I don't know if they've recently changed their name again. but um, In the world or the country? In the world. Okay. It's, it's massive. Uh-huh. Um, and they may, it was Thompson, Thompson CSF, um, Dallas. Um, so you're saying they're, they're bigger they're than Europe. Amazon. Um, oh, bit, yes, and they are um, their major investor or owner of Airbus, for example. Okay, and so they're they're massive. The French government funds that company, so part of the reason that the salaries are depressed and you have these restrictions, so the engineers are paid less, is the money that the taxes are paying for are paying other people, grossly so, and that's not such a it's not a horrible, instinctively horrible thing. I'm just pointing out that the reason the taxes are high is also to employ other people. 
and we do that same exact thing in the United States, though. Like we're, so we're constantly subsidizing, like you know, with big corporations to to exactly. stay in the local neighborhoods. I have a full, and I have well, a, that's I have that, a full list of bailouts that we, we've just given away to companies, but like none of that money is coming back down to the people. Is what I'm saying. We have all this money for to enrich the you know top one percent or one point one percent or whatever anybody's like talking about, but we're not putting that. The money's not coming around. To well, people. those people are creating jobs for everybody else. So when when uh, but, but if but you pick a big, but they're if not. You and even if they are creating jobs, they're, they're not reaping the profits. Like. You could create all the jobs in the world, but if you're not making enough money to afford college, like we were just talking about, or, or healthcare, like you were just talking about, it's not going to do you any good if you can't keep a roof over your head. Well, and if you're if you but if you're making if you if you're if if the company in your area is a big manufacturing company, like a they make airplanes, go, uh, go to, there there's five or six or ten or twenty other companies tied to that company that rely on that company being there for the orders to, and then there's thousands of tens of thousands of people that draw their income from making the tires, making the wiring, making the metals, machining the metals, and that type of thing. So these big companies create jobs. They don't, if they were simply just a drain on our economy, social, we wouldn't need that's them. socialism for the companies. That's not, if you really believe in this capitalism that you're talking about, then that's they should fail if they can't create those jobs, right? Wait, can we agree yeah, on oh, that? But they'll, yeah, they'll move. That's the problem. That's why local governments, like the Amazon but, but they're, thing, they're, uh, uh, Amazon was going to come to New York, create a bunch talk, of jobs. Just go to... Uh, 49. No, I think we're going to do this because we're, we're way over an hour now. All right. Hold on one second. Uh, this is, this I found in the Hill. And this is, uh, the Hill's a pretty interesting website. I do seem to find, let's get rid of this video here. But these are some numbers for uh, what people think uh, by by demographic about socialism. I got a fun one if we got a couple minutes to, that you can uh, play, but. Yeah, I will. Seven out of ten, seven in ten millennials say they would vote for a socialist, which is uh, a millennial is up to 35 years old, like 18 to 35. What's a millennial? I'm too old to know. Are you a millennial? How old are you? Um, 39. I don't even know. Oh, no. So you're, I don't know what you are. You're not a millennial anymore, though. Uh, I can't keep track of these. I know I'm Generation X. I remember that because Billy Idol's band before he was Billy Idol was Generation X. So I'm an Xer. Uh, And and then the older than me is a boomer. Is that right? I think. So anyway, uh, 50% of millennials defined between the, oh, here it is, 28, 23, and 38. Uh, 51 of Gen Z, well, these are 16 to 22-year-olds, have a somewhat unfavorable view of capitalism. Uh, and that's an increase of 8 uh, eight and 6% respectively. Oh, 44% of Gen Xers, that's me, uh, and 33% of baby boomers, and 33% of the silent generation, which is over 74, I believe, uh, were somewhat or extremely likely to vote for a socialist candidate. So yeah, that is, this is, this is my scary. point in my, in my research. What bothers me, what worries me, is there's enough people that are willing to go this route, and, and if, it helps, if it helps people, I'm willing to go this route, but the, we, we have to be realistic because it hasn't worked so many times before. We have to be sure it works here because I will not do it. I wouldn't vote to do it if it sunk the American, the American system. So we'd have to be able to somehow... What can we do that that wouldn't drive all the money out of our country, right? So if, if everybody takes their money, if they take their ball and go home, there's no gain, right? And then we've got a very big problem. So if we commit to this, we've got to strike a pretty delicate balance between taking care of our people that are risking the capital and making, you know, making the money and creating the jobs. We've still got to take care of these people who have to pay for all these things uh, and to help people that, that I assume we all agree we want to help people that are willing to help themselves. So uh, I wouldn't want to help somebody unwilling to work, right? Uh, someone like me, disabled, unable to work, totally different story, right? 
a single mom of five kids, very hard for her to work. Uh, so she should be taken care of. But what about somebody that, you know, smoking pot, smoking pot and playing Xbox in mom's basement in Queens, New York, and they don't want to get a job? Should we pay for people like that? Or I don't understand. You, you, it worries me that we would, we would create if we remove the incentive to produce something from this country, not just on an individual level, but in a massive sense, uh, we're sunk. And, and then the answer is going to be, I guarantee you, the answer will be the government will save us from this. And that's you know that's like uh, trying to stand I mean, that, in a bucket that's, that's and picking like the, yourself up by the, the handle. Stuff. I mean, a lot of a lot of people want to work. A lot of people want to be able to put food on the table. Want to get an education. They want to be able to go on vacations and all those things that you know we're talking about. Are they not working, or they're not making enough money? I think they're not making enough money personally. Like you know, I mean, I, I know people that are working two, three, four jobs or whatever. You know, me myself, I worked like two jobs for a lot of a lot of years. Yeah, you know, I did. I, I never had alone. three jobs, but I was in college with two jobs, so that's like three jobs. But, but nonetheless, I just want to hop on a couple of things here because some of the policies that you're talking about, like they're, they're they have massive support from the from the country. Even some of the things that you don't you don't think people have support on. If you want while I'm uh, talking, if you want to pull up uh, number twenty two, uh-huh. this is just an example of a town hall. Hold on, Fox News talking about some of these. This, these uh, you programs. ask me fair questions, I will give you fair answers. Thank you, sir. I got a fair usage here. This is the Washington Post. There'll be a link for this video in the description below. Uh, this is Bernie Sanders. It's dated April 16th, 2019. At least is when Washington Post put the video up. And it's Bernie Sanders saying something. And, uh, so fair use laws apply. He's just going to be uh, talking about some of these policies that we're talking about, like the universal health care and, like, you know, education and things like that. For example, there's been several polls that come out lately that, you know, 70% of Americans support some sort of a Medicare for all or, you know, or single payer. Uh-huh. That's across the board. That's Democrats, independents, Republicans, liberals, you, you know, like 70, 70% of America. But th- I just wanted to pull this up so you could see the Fox News or, or the Fox audience reaction to some of what he has to say. Okay, this is Bernie Sanders on Fox News. Is that right? And this yeah. is a Washington Post uh, uh, uploaded this. So this is from their website. There'll be a link down below. And you know, it looks pretty good there, by the way. thought that I should come on this show. And we appreciate it. All right. Will you pay your fair share? How can you challenge the idea that socialism is bad? Why do you believe that the government can provide better health care than the private sector? How would you bring back jobs and industry? Now, you raise the issue, I am a millionaire. Well, actually, this year we had $560,000 in income. And that's a lot of money. And that money, in my uh, case, in my wife's case, it came from a book that... I wrote a pretty good book. You might want to read it. So if anyone <laughs> thinks that I should apologize for writing a best-selling book, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. So I guess on Fox News, you said that I benefited from Trump's tax bill. Did you tell people that I voted against Trump's tax bill? Sure, but you, okay. did, you did benefit you did from it. Yeah. But I voted against it. But whether it's me or you or anybody else, I think wealthy people and large corporations that are making billions of profits should start paying their fair share of taxes. Once you got All right, so the uh, I got to watch my uh, copyright infringements here. So we got to interrupt it and say something. So say something. I was just say I, sh- I should have uh, bookmarked the exact spot or whatnot, but if you fast forward to it a little bit, you know, you'll see you mentioned like Medicare for all, for all and his, everyone everyone in the audience raises their hand they're like, "Yeah, I'm all about that." This is on Fox News. Right. Yeah, so, right. so Fox is pretty much uncensored open news. It's the other one. <coughs> they now, Fox, uh, I, think garbage, but I think they're all bi- heavily biased. Some of them absolutely. are uh, propaganda networks, and I think that Fox is heavily biased but tends to be very open. All the Democratic candidates have come on Fox News for interviews. That's not true with CNN because they, they just can't ban- um, 
fan being. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. But the uh, I'm not a fan of really any of them. But I think you're more likely to get a. Uh, what I used to do is watch some CNN and some Fox and kind of figure it out for myself. Uh, CNN is again, like we talked about maybe before the show, the the left has just kind of gone off the reservation for me. I I, I think both sides. I have. could barely trust them. Well, I, I think um, I've I've watched this uh, interview and it's a very that, good interview. Point. So it's, it wasn't an interview. This is actually just kind of. Uh, segments of the, or the town hall. Yeah, the town hall. Do you, did you write down what number it's at? What uh, time no, it's at? I, I, I didn't. I mean, if you want, it should be like right around there. I think it might actually be. But basically, just like you know, this is yeah, this is the part where he's uh, talking about it. And he gets support from the right. So a show of hands of how many people get their insurance? Dude, did I just pick the right spot in this video or what? Oh wait, we don't have the video on camera. That was a, that was a miracle. From work, private insurance. Right now, how many get it from private insurance? Okay, now of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says, a government-run system? Look at that reaction. We don't need to demonize immigrants. What we so, need is comprehensive. Yeah, that was the point of that video. Yeah, so, the, uh, so if, and if we could make it work, that's fine. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been on Medicaid, which is like the health insurance for poor, pe poor people. I, when I got hurt, I ended up on Medicaid. And they, they pay for nothing. You got your choice of one, maybe two doctors. Uh, I, my surgery was paid for. They pay for everything, which is nice. But it takes them three or four tries to approve it. When I was paralyzed, my, MR, my first MRI, my initial MRI, took like three months. And I could, I could barely feel my legs. And they, but, of course, people, you know, do, people do, scam do the system. That so. What's that? Do you consider that freedom? Freedom? So under his plan, which isn't even the arguably, arguably the best plan out there for the Medicare for all, but if you give everybody like access to health care or whatever, it's not giving it away for free. People are actually paying into this. Yeah, well, this that's ooh, that would have been terrible. That would have been bad. This is this is the the big point. I was uh, uh, we're probably going to agree on here in a second is because I wasn't paying for it and because they weren't paying these doctors very much. A, I didn't care when they wanted me to go to the doctor because it didn't cost me a thin dime. Write any prescription you want because somebody else is paying for it. Now Medicare. Now I'm on Medicare, and it's a little bit different because every time I go, I got to cough up some money. So all of a sudden, they don't want to see me very often, right? Now it's every quarter or whatever, every six months. So I think that if if the patient, if if the person, the individual has some skin in the game, some financial skin in the game, they're going to make better decisions, right? Well, and I also is that what you're getting at? While you're talking, I pull, pull up on number twenty-two, uh, number twenty that I sent you. It's actually just a website to calculate some of what people. Bernie tax. Yeah, and, and while you're bringing that up, let me just point out that all my slides talked about one thing, and that is the difference between capitalism and socialism is freedom to choose. So in socialism, what we're talking about now with government health care is the government picks a system, this is the system, everybody gets it. We're on the side talking about, well, everybody will be provided health care. Th that's not what but we're talking also, about, though. they're also picking what the government health care system is. No, that, that's and not what we're talking about. It's not government health care system. We're, we're talking about publicly funded, privately owned. So you're not, the government's not going to be running the doctors. Just publicly funded. What about this? And I had a guest on here one time. Uh, I had two guests that were my uh, the left out episode that I did, which my buddy from New Jersey, my buddy from Massachusetts, two smart guys. They hate Trump on Facebook, at least. Uh, but they were really uh, did a good job. But one of the guys, Andy, suggested uh, that perhaps the government can set up a competitive alternative to the private markets. Would that then drive prices no, down? That would fall apart because then all the sick people would go to that because it would be affordable, and then all the it, it would just like put too much too much of a burden on the system. 
Well, also remember, I wanted to bring up something. When we were talking about education, I pointed out that there's a real problem here with the banks loaning too much money to the uh, educational to students who spent it at the educational institutes, which allowed the educational institutes to skyrocket prices. I think that's exactly what the real problem is with our healthcare system, and that is people being isolated from healthcare costs by being provided insurance that they don't know what the payment's for or anything. All, all these numbers are, are great. But are made the healthcare costs skyrocket in this country where our healthcare cost is the basic problem. It's not insurance, the coverage, or anything else. It's the cost of healthcare. But it, it, the thing that I want to get at is all these numbers and all that are great, but we're, we're not talking about numbers. We're talking about people. We're not talking about dollars. We're talking about real lives on the line. Every year, thirty to 45,000 Americans die every year from lack of having health insurance. 500,000 bankruptcies every year. No, no other country has this problem. That's cool. How many, how many died in Europe? I have no idea how many See, died in you Europe. Have your, the point you throw out a number. And but the point is, is at, least the they get, at least they get the care to get the treatment that they need. How you, do you know that? I would, because they're covered. No, no, no. Do you got any people, stats to back that up? Yeah. I got a some lot number. of people die in France because... Where, where are your stats? I got some stats all right, you right have here. No but we're not doing a second hour here, you, so... You have no statistics on other countries. I, I, know I, I do. I've got them right here if you want to pull them up. No, we don't. No, you don't. There's so do you, can you read them real quick? How about that? No, there is no, no freedom of speech in the other countries, so they publish what they want. Now, people die... There are people that... Homeless people die in Paris that I know of all the time. Large numbers. It... It doesn't look as bad as something like no, San no Francisco. No, but that's the whole point, is the same number of people really die because of health coverage there, too. It isn't that it's not – they don't uh, get their health coverage because they have to pay for it. They're unable for P people, whatever People reasons. die here with the coverage so. that they get, but the, the point of – the numbers you know that it's I just illegal to refuse somebody entry into a hospital – if yeah, but you talk, you're also talking about follow-up care and the pre preventative care or whatnot. The numbers that I throw out there are the people that don't have insurance. Sure, there's people that have insurance that die. They will have a heart attack. They come down with cancer. They still die. But the, the numbers that I throw out there is excluding those people. Is, is so, all right. So, let's do I this. where we compare to other countries. Is here's here's questions that. we're getting on YouTube. So, uh, stretch your legs. Think for a second here. My headphones are even starting to hurt my ears because we've been on an hour and 40 hey. minutes. So, uh, Joe Rogan's going to be jealous of uh of how long our podcast is tonight uh so uh so one guy says that once we once we know the cost of these things that's when reality will set in so doing the right thing doing things that feel good and doing things that do good are always two different things or too often two different things can i jump in real quick on that one yes the some of these plans that are being proposed are actually save about 5.1 trillion compared to what we're already paying and it covers everybody instead of just you know a select few so, but so it's going to make us money. Yes. So we won't have to tax anybody a, to do it. It's a set. You're, you're gonna be, your taxes are going to slightly be going up, but you're, it's a, more of a regressive tax. So if you pull up that that calculator right there, that if, if you want to pull, plug in some numbers, do it for. But I would make, argue make that numbers. we're spending way too much now. So getting a new plan that's less, you're you're going to be paying less and getting more. I'm saying that the basic problem right now is we are paying too much money for health care. Absolutely, but still, every, everybody's not being covered. There's tons of sick people in the country that, that health care should be a basic human right, it's just like food or like a place. I don't agree. Or, or whatnot. People, people need to eat. If we don't have these things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's fine, that's but it. if we don't have these things and the, the rest of the country starts falling apart, if you're worried about you know, losing capitalism, we've got to <laughs> make sure people's basic needs are taken care of. Bernie's tax calculator doesn't work. No, so no, it's like it, the Obamacare website. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, <laughs> hold no, on. We got to keep it going. It actually does. Uh, but if you plug it, so another guy says that he saw that episode of Fox that we just watched, and it was uh, the audience were Bernie supporters, 
uh, intentionally Bernie supporters. Uh, so the uh, that doesn't surprise me. So if you turn on the news, by the way, and you trust what they're telling you, you need your head examined. It's almost creepy that people are so devout, so loyal to Trump and everything he says and does. I think we talked about it before the show. I don't like the guy personally, but I think he's doing a good job. But it's creepy how people are are uh, almost they deify their political ideologies to the point that they uh, it doesn't matter what Trump does or says or it doesn't matter what the Democrats do or say. They're on board, even as bizarre as some of the things sound that the Democrats produce. Or vice or, versa. Yeah. No matter what Trump does, that's good. It's absolutely he's still, wrong. He's still horrible. So you got to sit, you got to sit back times. and think to yourself, this is a little bit creepy. So why are people so, I mean, I'm devoted certainly to my faith, right? Being a pastor, I'm devoted to the Christian faith. Uh, but I, I, I find myself wondering why people would be so devoted to Trump. And I understand he gets people excited. Patriotism excites me too. Uh, Obama's speeches excited me. It just, the rest of his presidency I didn't enjoy, but I liked watching his speeches because he gave a hell of a speech. But he a lot of times didn't say anything. And then what he turned around, you know, the things he did that I didn't like, you know, apologizing for America and catering to places like Iran and blah, blah, blah. But he is uh, uh, that we are so devoted to our political ideologies in this country. It's freaking creepy that people are are there. They we're, lose we're, their we're mind. I have friends that won't talk to me because I'm 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 not a. Uh, okay with killing 70 million babies since 1974. Well, that, if you can make, I have yet to hear a good argument for that making sense, that black lives matter, but babies' lives don't matter. It's just, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. So it's bizarre to me. It's it's almost, uh, uh, it's almost like a delusion is set well, in. And if, for instance, uh, Brian and I clearly are on different sides of many political issues, and I think we all agree that helping people um, with health care however it's paid for, we all agree that that's a good thing and we want to maximize that. I would say that um, with my experiences being in other countries, particularly uh, Europe, I've been to other, con uh, other continents too, but I've seen how socialism works in action, and what it really comes down to is do we want freedom of choice or not? And that is when the government runs things, the only way to pay for it that, that, is to like tax right the individuals. Talking point, though, it's a, you're getting more freedom with plans like this. They're not telling you what doctors to go to or who you can see. No, no, so no, you can go to any doctor. What Trump's trying to do with uh, the veterans, that if the, if you can't get into the VA in a reasonable a, amount of time, no, no, just go to any doctor point. you want. I, I Under the vets, if, if, this plan, if this plan was in place, I hear stories about vets or whatever. You want to talk about taking care of vets? You know, I've heard stories about them having to drive you know, an hour away just to go to the VA hospital. If they had this plan in place, they could go to whatever doctor they choose right around the block from no. their house. Well, the uh, and Trump's already said that if they they get to uh, if they if they don't get the care they need at if they have they to, too long a wait the at the VA, and I take guys to the VA, and I know it's an amazing bureaucracy. It's the place in Tampa it's, is it's is huge. It's unbelievable. Should be, they should absolutely be taken care uh, of. But they they uh, they're now allowed to go to the any regular doctor and send a bill to the government or something. Yeah, uh, so if you're that's a vet, great. But I wanted to point out that the issue is our money, and that is in Europe, <laughs> a good percentage of their income is taken for these government services. Okay, we will have to pay for this, and whether it's cheaper or not, it's the matter that the amount of money we're paying is being taken away from us without our decision, and that's really what the problem is. When I look at Europe, and this covers all issues, not just. But you're, be, you're being everybody's you're being taxed these anyway, like. Who do you think picks up the bill? And you're, you're talking about you can go to the emergency room. Like taxpayers pick up the bill. Your insurance companies pick up that bill and turn around, charge you more, or you more, or you so more. So in Europe, you have health insurance. You have very little discretionary spending. 
and that's because of heavy taxes. You have benefits for that. Healthcare is one of them. So if we look, for instance, in the United States, uh, many people live in apartments, people have their own private homes, that type of thing. In Europe, a much greater number of people live in apartments. Beyond that, the people that own their own homes live in ancestral homes. That is, they've been in their family for yeah, many, yeah. many generations, and they live there for many generations. The options they have for their homes are limited, too, and that's because these other costs that are being paid for to cover the programs. And what was it? We had Ur Hurricane Irma in the United States a few years ago, and eight people were killed um, in a nursing home. Remember, we were all outraged. They so lost electricity. So you can those numbers tokens to get an idea. Uh, of I it. can't. Okay. In it 2003, work. what happened so in France is in. the French all go on vacation in August, and the reason for that there is the go. government shuts down their industries, so that's the month that everybody has to take vacation. How many people died in the heat wave? Well, first of all, you have to understand that air conditioning isn't generally available to the populace because people don't need that, and the government decided that. 15,000 people died that month because of heat-related injuries. We are outraged here that eight people died. Yeah. They had 15,000. Now, our news didn't drum that up and say how horrible this is other than a couple of quick well, stories. Well, the, clearly, the United stat. States is the best system ever because people aren't trying to sneak in or at, sneak out of this place. They're trying to sneak in. Every other country, they're trying to leave. So the we're doing something right. So the idea, and this is, I think, uh, a split in our country right now, academia has, has taught a whole generation or two generations now that America is basically bad. I believe America is basically good, so it is more good than bad. But there is there is a ideology. Why do you think we're tearing down statues and these types of things? That's akin to burning books, by the way. That's freaking creepy that, that, to that, try to erase a, history. That's a whole other topic. Like, yeah, you know, it, we shouldn't be invading like foreign countries, like so sovereign nations, like the, the way that we are. But that, that's a separate topic. Well, so Afghanistan to was uh, justified. Iraq, I don't think was. Or and and then we got involved in uh, in Libya. We got involved in Egypt. I mean, do we really think you, democracy was going to blossom in the Middle East? The video I had up before, if you finish listening, listening to Trump speak, they were talking about invading Venezuela. We, we actually put troops on their border. Like, we, we were getting we ready. We did well, not invade Venezuela. No, no we, but I mean, he we was talking not, about... We if they're, moving the, if they're moving the Russian military in there, we have to consider invading them. Did they, the, you're saying they really brought Russia in to really protect them from business. us? Oh, hell yeah, yes, some no, of no, our no, business. you got to be crazy. Uh, all right, hold on. We got the Bernie calculator working. They're, they're inviting if you, Russia in to protect them from us is what it comes down to. If, you're, if you make $60,000 a year and you, you pay, what would that be, $300 a month in health care? Let's see it from here. But Six. Yeah, so no, $300 a month would be 6000 no, no, a year? No, that's your health care cost if that's, if that's what you're paying out of, out of pocket. Or right, right, right. So say 6000 bucks. You would save with the Bernie. Now, this is Bernie's calculator, by the way. But you'd save with the Bernie plan 4000 bucks a year. It would be cheaper. So the way— I'd be putting $4,000 more in your pocket. But how much of that are we taking out in taxes? Now, you and I, maybe not a lot, but certainly me. But uh, what about— uh, scroll down. Is the Q scroll down on that? There's the breakdown of that right there. Income bracket. Yeah. So that, where would people—most people land in this one, right? Uh, 38 to 82. They they tax rate would be twenty two. Their taxes would go up two grand, or or the, they would pay two thousand in taxes. Can't quite see that from here. Ah, uh, all right. Well, let's see if I can pull it up real quick though. So here, let's let's go to our let's go to our comments. Uh, one guy wants to know why Brian doesn't just move to Europe. <laughs> That's actually because I believe in the, I believe in the United States of America, and I believe we can do better. This this is a, gr a great country. I don't want to see it, you know go down the tubes where like it has been. And I that's a common question. Actually, 
not necessarily move, but vacation in some of these places because I've got a lot of exposure and it has to do with my work history where I had to spend a lot of time in France in particular, but also in Germany quite a bit. And I got exposure and there's good and bad things about those countries. But what occurred to me is that people have limited choices and uh, basically they have very little extra income. The assumption is that they can't go on as many vacations as we th- uh, can. They can't buy cars. For instance, the Netherlands, you always see these great pictures of the people, Dutch, riding their bicycles. You ever wondered why? Because they can't afford cars. Cars are 100% tax. Oh, wow. It's double the price to buy a car there. And I want to see a damn picture of the Dutch riding their bicycles in the snow. It's cold there. They're always <laughs> pictures in the summer. Well, the, they, t- they talked about like a 46% sales tax, which, you know, it would hit rich people worse than it would hit Poor people, no, right? I but think at, at the end of the day, it's about like taking care of people. Like there's just too much of a gap right now. There's like, like the, the country's being run away with by by oligarchs, or by like big money, and the, many people are being left behind for decades. So you're saying it's time to repent. It, so time to come to come to the Lord to because repent. it's almost it's over. To restore power back to the people and take it away from these like giant corporations, uh, industries that are running our company, our country. We're we're not running our country. Like we have all these representatives are all bought off. If we took, here's a hypothetical for you. If we took all the money in America, divided equally amongst we have $4 everybody. dollars right now. Like the, the rich have like just o- over four trillion. So if we took the four trillion, divided it equally between three hundred and forty-five million, uh, would it would temporarily solve the problem? Right, everybody would be but the same. Nobody wants to divvy out but, the money like that. But twenty years from now, would would not the same people, the people prone to being rich, people that are intellectually more likely to, to succeed and people that have a better work ethic, wouldn't they ultimately be rich again and the, the poor people would then be poor again? There's a difference between having a work again. ethic and working harder. I'm all about that. But the point being is when you start rigging the rules and system in your favor to where it's like you, you, you're crushing other people and like you're know, putting them at a disadvantage is the, is the issue we're facing yeah. right now. And there is some of that. So it's, if you were trying if you were going to try to start, start an online buying uh, system right now, you'd have to be able to defeat Amazon. That's ridiculous. No one can touch them. At Mar- uh, Walmart's trying to do it, and they can't. Well, so I the mentioned that they are a clear example of a monopoly and something the government should break up, and they're just like an AT&T or the railroads, well, 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 et I want my stuff the next day, and I want Absolutely. it so cheap. That's we'll what I love about Amazon. Yeah, I don't want to have to go to Walmart and wait in line with everybody else. Here's another comment from a friend of ours. Trump is not a politician. Politicians seem to be nervous about what is going to be, unco- what's going to be uncovered, uh, both sides, what's he going to find. So... His point, I think, is his point is it's not just the Democrats that aren't wild about Trump. There's plenty of never-Trumpers in the Republican Party. Now, they're, they're kind of having to ride his coattails now, but for the first year or two, they hated him as much as the Democrats hated him. I think this, Brian was talking about corruption. I think any system has a certain amount of corruption, um, and our federal government has a lot of corruption. Well, here's it. percentage, I think— we are probably less corrupt than many other governments. Yeah, probably. Because but socialism here's has, a you know, here's a good here's a good question. It. If we if we're worried about corrupt government, do we want the government to control more of our stuff? We need to more get money of our out of politics is what we if, need to do. If we're gonna start. if we're gonna if we can't trust the government so far in 2020 with the money we've given them so far, right? Then should we be giving them more money? Am I supposed to trust? Uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Warren. Absolutely uh, not. The she actually used to be a Republican. So. She's a Native American, first of all, so cool your jets, all right? You she racist. Was, she was a black child growing up in Detroit. So, <laughs> so, and then do we trust Bernie? Now, say what you want about the political candidates. 
Bernie's pretty much been the same. I'm not impressed with Bernie, but he's been the same for as long as he's been a public figure. Four, right? four years has had these you know, consistent the same the ca- same ideas. Now, I, if I don't think they're very good ideas, but you got to admit he doesn't flip flop. He believes exactly your, uh, health insurance right there. You don't think that's a good idea? Plus, on top of that, you wouldn't be taking care of you and your family. You'd be taking care of the less you want me to. You want me to trust America. Bernie Sanders with this? Why not? Because this is a guy that got kicked out of a commune for not not contributing in the this 60s. Is, he he the honeymooned in Russia, in the U- and he's no, never really produced anything but his book. Communism. He's never had a job. You know, his name is not on a single bill in you know, 40 years in Congress. I, I've got a full list of his accomplishments right here. If I, I didn't Have you? It on this. Yes, I do. You got a con- uh, you've got Bernie Sanders. Con- that's going to be a short list. Oh, it's, a, it's actually a long list. It's a long list of things before, Bernie Sanders has contributed. Before I send this to you, though. You, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you touch up a lot of stuff there. It's like, I'm getting tired. <laughs> you, you get tired. Yeah, you stand up. yeah, my back is killing Let's me. See if I can uh, send this to you real quick. You guys keep talking about whatever. You're well, talking actually, about. I was going to agree with Brian, and that is the idea of getting money out of politics. I think the idea that politicians are paid more than say twenty thousand dollars a year is ridiculous. Uh, serving for the federal government quick, how can I is supposed to be a service. God Logic Project. Oh, all right. That way, I can open it on the computer. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be serving your country is by being a representative, whether no matter what position that might be in the federal government. The exception would be, of course, the judicial branch. And most of those people are appointed and sit there for life. But whether you're in the House, Senate, yeah, well, other political offices, it should be a minimal salary and never increased. It should never be a career. And so term term limits might help. So these guys are making a living. Now, the... It's a whole nother podcast, and I'll be glad to do this one with you. But I can tell you that the Biden Barisma thing is money laundering because we're sending money to this country that is then giving it to our politicians through their family, through their agent, in this case his son. They're, all we're doing is laundering money to these people. It's it's how why are we not? Well, I guess we are investigating. Yeah, so it, but, that doesn't have uh, anything to do with so, uh, socialism versus capitalism. But I it does do. It does have to do with. Am I supposed to trust these morons with more money? Well, I well, can't well, do it. Wanna, give, me, give me a minute to speak about Bernie. I don't want to really focus on him like so much right now. But if you do want to pull it up, it should. Uh, oh, you send it. Email. Yeah. See if you can it. Open it up. All right, folks. We'll wrap it up after this because I'm getting you. tired. My back is killing me. I'm not a young man anymore. But nonetheless, like uh, you know, I see the guy. You know, he's actually like hopped on buses with American citizens and taking them over to Canada to get life-saving medication for them. Like, if you don't think that guy's got the best interest at heart, you know, I, I don't know. The guy became from. a millionaire in politics. He's the, po- he's the poorest member in Congress. He became a millionaire in politics. They all become millionaires. Yeah, that's so a problem. Many so of them were millionaires before, and I trust those yeah, yeah. people more because they didn't use And that is something that I that I will give to Trump scroll, that scroll he was— he is uh, actually before you do, I want to preface this with two. He's he's done a lot of things like on the side to help people too. Like for example, he's recently fought to get uh, Disney and Amazon workers like, you know, a higher living wage on the front lines with them, like not through le- legislation, but by pressuring le- these companies to do the right thing. So, but nonetheless, feel feel for the us. Uh, All right, here's a list of Bernie's accomplishments. July 28th, he traveled with a caravan of diabetics to Canada looking to purchase affordable insulin. It looks like that was filmed. Yeah. So that's he's done that multiple publicity. times actually. But Disney caved to Sanders protesters, activists who were demanding a pay raise. Okay. Uh, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos caved to Sanders on a coalition of act and a coalition of activists raised wages to fifteen bucks an hour. Sanders voted against the Keystone Pipeline, which would allow multinational corporations to transport dirty tar, sands, oil to ca- from Canada to Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, he hasn't. Uh, a, oh, he says he introduced a wait, bill. Wait, here's there. a bill. He pushed a bill. It wasn't his bill, unfortunately, but he, he supported a bill from the Department of Veterans Affairs 
serve American aging population and veterans, meet the needs of new generation. That's something. He steered the bill through Congress. That's big, but okay, I'll give him that one. This isn't just bills, too. This is also the accomplishments he's had no, throughout this the is years. Stuff but he's never written done. any legislation. Well, what I'm saying, yeah. what I'm saying is, he's, you're attacking his character. But here's some of the things he's like been fighting for, like you know, with people. And but there's, people. there's, but there's a something a politicians I would expect to do to to show up in Canada for insulin patients with a camera on. I would expect a politician to do that. Yeah. He, that's what people do. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's so we 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 might work. He's actually out there helping people. You're, like, you're attacking his character saying no, it's a no, PR he thing? Helped, Come on now. No, he helped 20 people on the bus where he could have been doing a bill in Congress and helping millions of people. Um, the thing is, all of these show, and they're all great things, but it's sort of the thing that the high school um, Why are we having to do this in the person? first place, though? Is, I is, have is, no is idea. The point. My, Our system is broken. And I say, when we talk about health care, since he brought him over that, we need to look at what's wrong with the system, and I think... Um, the system is way too expensive, and that's what we've got to focus on. So why is the hospital charging so much? Why are insurance that, companies That's exactly charging? what he's trying to and do, is take on these industries and whatnot. And I may have but spoke, he's not fixing I that. I should have said policies, but right. this is a so, – So say – you both get one minute or two minutes to say uh, – to leave America. Or, and now, by the way, people watch us even in Indonesia. So the GodLogic Project, pretty cool. it's pretty much GodLogic International at this point because – People watching Canada and Europe and in Indonesia. I didn't even know they had internet in Indonesia, well, which Canada, is awesome. Canada's international, so well, we're they, pretty good right away. I don't really count Canada as a, a separate country. They're kind of, <laughs> you know. Uh, all right, so what do, you, what do you have to say in defense of capitalism, Greg? Well, I think my point has always been consistent, and that is from the very beginning. I think the difference between capitalism and socialism is freedom of choice. And I think that's very important to me, and that is to choose how I spend my money, whether I want to spend my money on a universal health care pl- uh, system, typically through taxes, mm-hmm. or if I'd rather spend it on something else. And I think at an earlier age, I'd want to spend it partying, perhaps actually, or maybe even education, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And mostly partying. Years, yeah, mostly partying. In later years, I might want to devote more to um, uh, health care. But I want that to be my choice. And when the government runs the system, whether the system's good or bad is kind of a separate issue, it is that they have to take a certain amount of my income uh, to fund that. And I think that's perfectly reasonable, but I'd rather have freedom to choose and not have the government making my choices for me. I'm I'm not a a fan of government. You guys probably picked up on that pattern already. Uh, Bri, what do you think, buddy? What do you want to tell America? America. And Indonesia. Well, first of all, I want to see the health of the country, like everybody taken care of. But um, you know, at the end of the, end of the day, you know, the system is not working for everybody. Like, there's just like so much inequality, so many people out there hurting, and like you can't use capitalism to, if it's creating the problem. You can't use that same problem to fix that problem. At the end of the day, we got to come up with some solutions before, before everything gets taken care of. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid, you know, learning about a country that was you know being ruled uh, or uh, us we're being you know under tyrannical rule and oppression like by moneyed interest, Britain, and we declared our independence from them. So the way I look at it today is we got to declare an in- independence from these you know industries and these uh, companies that are these massive like you know profit making machines that are like ruling the country. They're taking away a lot of our freedoms. If you give people these basic basic needs and meet, meet to meet their needs, whether education or healthcare or affordable wages or whatnot, it gives them a lot more freedom instead of just like crushing people and like kind of enslaving them into debt and all these things. I guess at, at the end of the day, is that's what it comes down to. We got to fix the system before it completely falls apart. Is what a lot of these policies are, are talking about. They're publicly funded and privately owned. No, nobody's talking about this red scare, like government taking over. It's giving people more freedom and control, not the government. At the end of the day. All right. So the uh, take a close look at these policies and 
that people are talking about. So the uh, uh, I we will we had by the way civil discourse in here, oh, wait, uh, no, which did, was amazing. I want to say thank you so much for having me on. I think this show is a great idea being able to like, talk about these issues with people and get them out there, and so people can. Start so are you suggesting that people subscribe to the God Logic Project? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Do you think Do you think it's they a good watch idea? This episode. Over <laughs> <and> over <laughs> over. Do you think it's a good idea if they go to GodLogicProject.com, click on the Amazon logo, shop as they normally would, and then Amazon would at no expense to them. Send a couple of bucks. It's like less than a dollar per order. Kevin's by a the pretty way. smart guy. He should do what he says at the end. Of the <laughs> uh, all right. So, here are my parting thoughts. First of all, thank you guys always for for supporting the God Logic Project. We're trying to grow a, a a platform here where we can talk about things that nobody else wants to talk about. Try to do so with gentleness, kindness, and respect. Uh, and you know, we all try to you know get that soundbite in there. Uh, I I love to tell jokes and. Uh, uh, I walk a fine line between hosting a podcast, a, a hopefully a central, neutral podcast, although I'm certainly not neutral on a lot of topics, and being a pastor and, and being uh, a, a jerk, which is my strength, is to be funny. So uh, uh, I thank you guys for supporting us by using the, going to the godlogicproject.com, using the Amazon logo when you shop at Amazon. Only It's only an extra step, but it does make a difference. I think they, they're sending us like, 29 bucks or something like that, which is awesome because it costs me a hundred bucks or so a month to keep this podcast going. Some of you have been donating directly on PayPal. Uh, you go to paypal.me forward slash God logic project. I don't know if you noticed, but everything is forward slash God logic project. I, my branding, I got down, my branding's on point. Uh, if you would like, please of course subscribe and like you did tonight, please continue to participate in the God logic project comment, give it a thumbs up. Uh, email me at, uh, you can message me at godlogicproject.com. Uh, if there's a way I can help you guys, we, ha- we have a lot of fun here, but we are uh, first and foremost here to help. So I deal with a lot of people that struggle in addiction. I've been doing it for 30, over 30 years now. I have some resources here in the state of Florida and beyond. If you have a family member struggling like that, uh, message me, email me. Uh, I can I can steer you in the right direction. The other thing is, of course, uh, if, if you need prayer, if, if there's something going on in your life and you you just want to talk to a third neutral third party on it, marriage problems, whatever it is, email me. We'll get together, and we'll see if we can't get you on the right path wherever you are in the country. Glad to help. If you'd like to be a guest on the God Logic Project, I'd like to have you. So email me, godlogicproject at gmail.com, uh, or contact me through the website. and be glad to have you talk to you, see if we can't build a show around you. Uh, the, the guy that uh, recovered from a crack addiction that was on the show a couple weeks ago is exactly how he got on the show. Uh, I'll talk to anybody about anything. So uh, uh, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, if you're a Mormon or a Latter-day Saint, if you're, if you're a Calvinist, if you're an Arminian, you don't have to agree with me. We do, I, do, I would like to create a platform where you have a seat at this table and we can talk about it. If you'd like me, by the way, if you'd like to invite me, I'm, this year I'm going to try to do a little more public speaking. Uh, so if you'd like to have me out, be glad to have you email. Be glad to, to uh, come out and talk to your group, uh, your church group or your political group, whatever it is. Very little I won't talk about, and I uh, hopefully will do so with kindness and respect as I'm called to do by Scripture. So email me if you've got a speaking engagement. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, and if you need help with your YouTube channel, a lot of people have been asking me YouTube questions. I've learned the hard way. I'm not an expert, but I've, I've, I've kind of roughed off. I've been through some of the rough stuff, so you don't have to. You can email me for that, too. No one told you they love you today. God loves you, and so do I. Receive that. Be blessed, and we'll speak soon. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for supporting the God Logic Project. And if no one's told you they love you today, God loves you. So do I. 
Receive that. Be blessed. We'll speak soon. This has been a Rev Kev production. Your mileage may vary. Shut up, Kevin.